you got to fight. This is the first fight in Prospect's history, and it's Karkner trying to unload with that right hand. And for Team Orr, Juan Big is feeling the pressure now. Well, Karkner got it, got that right, and he got it in there. Matt Karkner of the Peterborough Peets, good strong player, ranked 25th halfway through the season. And it all breaks out with Kyle Wanvig of the puck behind the net. And Karkner just takes him out and Wanvig holds on to him, gives him a little shove. The words were exchanged and away we go in the first fight in top prospects history. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gartner goes right to King Flattenson. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So welcome to episode 65, actual episode 83. And today I bring you part one of my chat with former Islanders defenseman Matt Karkner. But before we get into that, I'm going to try to streamline this a little bit uh, further than what I used to do. Uh, I know I've been trying to cut these short, and even by talking about it now, I'm doing the opposite of streamlining it. So, first, on whatever platform you're listening to, if you have the opportunity to subscribe or follow the show, please do. Uh, like I always say, that's free, and uh, you never have to go searching for the program. It Basically, it'll just pop up into your feed of all the shows that you follow. So, uh, if you're a subscriber, this should pop up Sunday. And uh, if you're not a subscriber, then you got to go searching for it every Monday. Hopefully, you go searching for it. But why not subscribe or follow? And uh, then it'll just pop up automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind if you could give the show a rating. And uh, if the uh, platform allows you to, uh, write a review. Could be something very simple. I'm not asking you to write War and Peace. Uh, but if you don't mind, it definitely will help bring... Uh, bring the show greater visibility. So um, I would appreciate if you had time to do that. So if you're on social media, this podcast is on all, well, I guess the three main platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On Twitter, the Twitter account is at Kali Sinbin Pod. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. And on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore Podcast. All... Uh, all the stuff on those platforms basically relates to the show uh, or relates to Islanders organizational enforcers. So in a nutshell, if you enjoy the content of this program, I'm sure you will enjoy the content of the social media accounts. Uh, let's see. 
So I have merchandise. If you listen to Fourth Line Voice, I have to really send him some stuff because uh, he promotes my merchandise better than I do. And he actually throws in a lot of products that I don't have. Uh, so, uh, so, so if you listen to his program and then go to my merchandise store, there may be some things missing. Uh, but, but I love the way, uh, that he, he promotes the merchandise. I really do appreciate that. Um, if you scroll to the, if you scroll right after the episode description of this very episode that you're listening to, you'll see two links. One link is for the classic logo merchandise and one link is for the alternate logo merchandise. And as you know, if you're a regular listener every week, I do a listener exclusive discount this week's discount Karkner 20 C A R K N E R two zero Karkner 20. That discount code will be uh, active from now through September 27th, 2021. And with that discount code, you will get 20% off anything you buy in either of the merchandise stores. So um, if you want to buy now, it's it's uh, well, today it's warm. Yesterday, it was pretty warm here on Long Island. So uh, summer is not going away easily. But you know, you spring will be here. So spring, fall, I mean, uh, I'm a dyslexic when it comes to the seasons. Fall will be here soon maybe a good time to add to your hoodie collection, but still, it's still t-shirt weather. So maybe grab yourself a t-shirt, but remember if you're checking out the merchandise stores, please use Karkner 20 at checkout and you will get 20% off. Now, the reason why I love my merchandise is because of the artist who drew my fantastic logo. And that's local Long Island artist, Joe Marisich. Joe is available for hire. He's available for all your art project needs. He does way, way more than tunes. If you're interested in Joe or his art, please check out his Twitter feed at GraphicsJoker, or you can reach him also at loudegg.com. So the aforementioned Fourth Line Voice podcast, that's hosted by my friend Darren up in Saskatoon. Uh, Darren was the uh, the originator of this uh, podcast genre, and um, his latest episode, well, let me go back a little bit. Darren is a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and although I am not a member of that network, uh, one of the guys who runs it, Isha, has been very good to me. He's a good guy. I've been on his his uh, podcast, and uh, you know he has enough of the network's own shows to promote, and he'll still uh, give some of my stuff a retweet also, so I'm really appreciative of that, and uh, I wish... Isha and Dylan, uh, nothing but the best. And uh, Darren is a is a proud member of that network. Two episodes a week, does episodes on Wednesday. Those are his interview episodes. And then on Sundays, he does a Sunday shit show where he basically stares out the window, pumps his fist in the air, and rants. So um, his latest episode on Wednesday, uh, Darren does something every year on Twitter called Minor League Mayhem. It's a it's a fictitious tournament, and I think. Fictitious is the key word because some people, I think, if they're confused, the way they they take this so seriously and uh, they get on Darren, mostly on Facebook now. It used to be Twitter, but Facebook has taken it to a whole new level. Uh, This is a fictitious tournament of players who are mostly known for their time in the minors. It's 64 of the toughest guys to ever play in the minors, and it's it's basically like a March Madness type bracket. And... um, I highly urge you to go on Facebook and check check out Darren's bracket posts because, like I said, some people, they take this way too seriously. Um, 
It's a fictitious tournament, folks. I, I just can't say that enough. But it's fun. It's a fun tournament. So uh, basically, that started yesterday, which was Saturday. And um, I think he updates the brackets every day around noon. So on Wednesday, Darren and Alec from the Five for Fighting podcast and uh, our friend Jay the Lugan broke down the matchups. And uh, they actually gave me a great idea for a new uh, new thing for my merchandise. And I have to check and see if it's possible to make these uh, Christmas balls. So, um, so yeah, so you could have uh, my balls on your tree for Christmas this year. So uh, I have to check and see if those are available. So thanks, fellas, for the idea. And, of course, if I'm able to do that, you can have my balls for free. So uh, I will keep you posted on that. But that was his episode on Wednesday. Uh, I haven't listened to his Sunday shit show yet, but uh, I'm sure I love the Sunday shit shows. So definitely check those out as well. Uh, and and on Darren Fortline Voice, his Twitter feed, the Minor League Mayhem Tournament, like I said, it started yesterday. It'll go on, I don't know, maybe a week or two weeks or something uh, until a winner is declared. So definitely check out that uh, tournament on Twitter. If you're not a member of Twitter, smart move. But if you want to vote, definitely uh, create an account and vote, and uh, then you can discard it forever. Also, uh, YouTube right now is uh, deleting a lot of the Hockey Fight content on there. I don't know why. Maybe the super sensitive wool crowd is uh, is offended by it. I don't know. But uh, Darren's channel, the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel, is still up and running. If you have watched a Hockey Fight on YouTube, chances are it is, it was, it is. See, when you combine is and was, you get whiz. Either it was or it is on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. I, it's funny, at the end of this interview, Matt Karkner calls me professional. Obviously, he hasn't listened to this intro yet um, with uh, how I'm fumbling over things. But definitely check out the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. The Five for Fighting podcast with the aforementioned Alec. Uh, his latest episode, he um, he did a maybe it was a half hour or so last week on uh, the new WHL fight rules. These junior leagues, they're really uh, they're they're killing it, you know. And and uh, I don't mean killing it in a good way. They're literally killing the role. And uh, the Western League seemed to be the one the one holdout to the nonsense that uh, David Branch likes to uh, to spread throughout the Canadian Hockey League. And, um, but now it seems like they're, I don't want to say they're conforming, but they're certainly, uh, starting to fall in line. I don't know. It's a little disappointing, but it's a sign of the times, I guess. So, uh, so we did a little breakdown on that and, uh, what Alec usually does on Fridays, he goes live on the enforcer appreciation page on Facebook with either, um, a guest or just a solo episode. And then he, puts those in audio form on Tuesday. So definitely look for that. If you're not a member of the Enforcer Appreciation page yet, please join. 95% of the members are uh, are good folks and um, lots of foreign players on there that you can talk to. But, of course, as I always say, that I got to start a jar, put in money every time I say that. Excuse me one second. Okay. As I always say, Social media is a microcosm of society. So I always like to think that most people are good people and most people just want to be left alone. They just want to mind, you know, mind their own business, do their job, go to school, whatever, come home and enjoy their family. 
there's just that small percentage of extreme idiots on any side that, uh, you know, the empty cans rattle the most. So um, it's like that on the Enforcer Appreciation page. So definitely check that out. Join the page. Check out the Five for Fighting podcast live on Friday nights or on uh, audio form on Tuesdays. And still in hiatus, the Bucket Drop podcast with Bobby Longgrass. He has not given me any inclination that he is not coming back. And uh, I saw that some uh, rookie games happened this week. Uh, this uh, Well, yesterday, I guess. So I imagine that his show will be coming back soon. Bobby mostly talks about uh, his team, the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the Ottawa Senators, and uh, the Leafs. And he talks about combat sports, talks about gambling. So it's definitely a fun listen, a quick listen. He used to do uh, full-length interviews, not so much anymore. Uh, So where you get episodes like myself and Darren and Alec, where they're a few hours, Bobby's are only about 30 minutes or so, 30 minutes or less. So I would definitely check out all three of those shows that I just suggested to you. I definitely would not steer you wrong. Now, if you're on uh, Twitter and you see uh, either my uh, the podcast Twitter or my personal Twitter, I have been pumping out daily the GoFundMe for my friend Steve. Steve is trying to bring back a bigger, better, better Drop Your Gloves website. Excuse me. This is what happens when you drink seltzer. Constantly have to burp, so I'm trying not to do it on the microphone here. But uh, Steve has been in touch with many web web designers, and um, the number he was given was ten thousand dollars. Now we've sort of hit a, hit a wall around fifty four hundred. So I don't know. I, I think he's starting to reach out to some some designers about possibly seeing what you can get for that much money, but. The the uh, GoFundMe is still alive and well, so if you're able to donate, please do. And if you're not able to donate, please just go and retweet what my post is. Because even if you can't donate, it doesn't mean that someone on your timeline would be able to. And word of mouth and whatever you call word of Twitter, you know, it definitely can help. It can't hurt. So uh, please donate if you can. And if you can't, please retweet. So, uh Let's get on to the points of the week. And normally I have one or two things, but I got uh, I got a list of things here to talk about. So uh, first, I will start with what I usually end things with, and that is, uh, as you may or may not know, uh, if you're a regular listener, you know I collect uh, game-used gear. And um, even like my guest today, Matt Karkner, I'm fortunate enough to have a Matt Karkner stick. Uh, have Matt Karkner uh, used gloves. So uh, for Matt Karkner, for instance, if you have a uh, game-used helmet that you're looking to part with or a uh, game-used jersey, um, if I'm able to afford it and you're looking to get rid of it, I would definitely love to add it to my collection. Uh, but anyone, anyone associated with the Islanders, well, any any tough player associated with the Islanders, uh, I have no desire for anything uh, Maris Tchaikovsky or Vladimir Malikov. Uh, no thanks there. But uh, but any tough player, you know, like I said, jersey sticks, gloves, um, helmets, that kind of stuff. Uh, if you have anything and you're looking to part with it, let me know, and hopefully we can work something out. My number one priority right now is the uh, white number 48, name on back removed, the old-style Islander jersey from uh, the late 80s to the early 90s. Uh, you know, called the Pat LaFontaine era. That was uh, worn by uh, my best buddy, my brother, Dean Ewan. 
Uh, I always say I have the blue one. I don't know why I didn't buy the white one, especially because I think when uh, Fairmore was selling them, I think they were like 150 bucks. I, I have no idea why I didn't buy the white one as well. But the white number 48 name on back removed jersey is out there somewhere. So if you know someone who has it or if you have it and you don't need it, I would love to get it from you. So let me know. Um, a couple of notes here. So a couple of somber notes. So I'm recording this on uh, Sunday, uh, September 19th. Right now it's a few minutes before noon. And uh, this is the uh, unfortunate, the anniversary of the unfortunate passing of Todd Ewan. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to meet Todd a bunch of times. And as I just said, you know, uh, Dean is, is a brother to me. So, uh, so, you know, this one, this one hurt a little bit, you know, and, uh, it's, uh, I think, I think it's six years now since, uh, since Todd passed and, uh, it doesn't get easier. You know, it's, it's tough when, when, uh, something like this happens and, and you know, the person it's, it's very difficult. And, uh, I, you know, I posted today on social media that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I was thinking of Todd and hopefully he's at peace because I know during his life, he was definitely not at peace. And, um, you know, the one thing I'll always say, and again, I always say it's not my story to tell. I know a lot has been written about Todd and his passing since it happened. Uh, what I will say is narratives are not only for political stories. There, there are certain things that have not been uh, you know, discussed and, um, the whole story is not out there. I'll leave it at that. So, um, just like I said, uh, you know, I hope Todd's at peace right now and, um, you know, he definitely, you know, he's missed, he's definitely missed. So, um, so like I said, I just wanted to, to touch on, on Todd's passing. I really never know how to approach these things, especially when it's someone who, you know, but, uh, but today is the anniversary of his passing. Uh, someone else passed this week who I never met, and it, it's not hockey-related, but Norm MacDonald, uh, the comedian. Um, in my opinion, one of the greatest ever. And uh, like I said, it's it's unfortunate in, in the world we live in today where there's so much negativity that someone who really has just brought so much joy to millions and millions of people is gone while pieces of shit like O.J. Simpson still live. But... Um, you know, the world needs humor now more than ever. And the unfortunate thing is, uh, even stand-up comedy is, uh, is not immune to the woke bunch. So it's almost like a, a completely different animal now, but, um, Norm is a guy who brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. And, uh, it's unfortunate that, that we lost him this week. So I'm pretty sure a lot of listeners, uh, are fans of Norm McDonald as well. So it was just, um, you know, something I wanted to say that it was unfortunate. I don't really, uh, I don't really follow celebrities and I didn't really ever look at Norm as a celebrity, although he was, you know, a high profile comedian and actor, but I don't know. Norm just, it just didn't have that air about him. He just kind of had the air of a regular person. So, uh, but you know, uh, tough one this week, uh, you know, most of the time it's, it's whatever, but uh, Norm has given me so much joy over the years. So it was unfortunate when I read that he passed away as well. So um, one of the things about doing this show is the feedback that I get. And um, I welcome feedback from everybody. And, and I honestly have to say that 
all the feedback I've ever received has been positive, and it really, it really means a lot to me. I know that Alec and Darren have said it on their shows and on their social media posts, and I know I've said it before. Um, doing a show like ours, where we're our own host and we're our producer and we're the creator, and basically it's a one-man show. Uh, sometimes getting guests to come on, it's a bit of a chore. Uh, and even when you get guests to agree to come on, then nine, 99% of the time it goes very smoothly. But that 1% of the time is when you have to start chasing people. And I've already said, I'm not chasing anybody anymore. Uh, but even when they, some people agree to do the show, then you can't track them down and you see them active on social media. So you wonder what the story is where you just wonder, Hey, if you change your mind, just let me know. But anyway, when, when you're a solo act like I am and like Darren is and like Alec is, uh, I know that we really appreciate the feedback and um, it, it keeps you going during those times where you just want to say, fuck it and just, just stop doing it because you're frustrated trying to get guests lined up. But uh, last week's episode, Vern Smith, uh, I got a lot of positive feedback on there and um, really uh, I appreciate all of it. The two that really, uh, hit me the hardest and in a good way. Um, I saw, I was tagged in a story by one of Vern's sons and, um, and he mentioned how, you know, he's heard a lot about his dad's career. Um, but it was nice that it, this was sort of like a, a, a compact synopsis of his career, like a two hour episode that highlighted a lot of the, a lot of, well, highlighted the highlights of his career. And, uh, he was saying how he really enjoyed it. And then the next day, the next morning, I woke up to a message from Vern's daughter and it was just, you know, thanking me for, for having him on the show. And like, I always tell people like nobody's tuning in to listen to me. And the reason why this show exists is because of the guests. People, people tune in to listen to the stories of the players. Nobody tunes in to listen to me. So while I appreciated both of them thanking me and Vern thanking me for having him on the show, the thanks go thanks go to Vern because without Vern, there's no Vern Smith episode. But when you get feedback from the family, they're really the ultimate judges of the content because they know their father, their brother. If it's a mom, they know their son uh, better than anybody. So when you get feedback from people who know the guest the absolute best, even former teammates, let's say, uh, that really it really makes you feel good. And uh, like I said, the feedback I get from anybody makes me feel great. You know, like like Darren and Alec and I have said, we're not the uh, we're not at the level of some of the bigger podcasts and uh, who probably get tons and tons of feedback from their followers. Uh, you know, I think we all get a good amount of feedback. And uh, when you get the feedback from the people closest to the guest, it just really uh, it really makes your day. And and the, and uh, when I heard from from Vern's son and Vern's daughter, that really really made my day. So uh, I just want to thank them. I don't know if they're listening to this, but um, it really it really means a lot, and I really appreciate uh, the feedback that I got from Vern's family and from other people as well. Another another piece of feedback that I got this week was uh on facebook from a, a facebook buddy of mine named matt Deason, and i'm just gonna read this because like I, I don't know how you answer something like this talk about uh humbling and uh matt said i'm not an islanders fan but i follow your podcast in memory of my buddy barkley treso and i hope i said his name right matt 
uh, who passed away suddenly this month. He was only 46 and died of a heart attack. He was a huge Islanders fan. He was the glue that held all the guys together by random check-ins to make sure everyone was doing okay. I mean, <laughs> you read something like that too, and I mean, how do you answer that? Like, it's just, I know I say it a lot. I know I, I use, I say that it's humbling and, and really is like, you know, when, when, when I read that, I'm like, wow, like that's, that's just unbelievable. And uh, Matt, I'm sorry for your loss. He sounds like a tremendous friend and a tremendous human being. And it sounds like it's a loss for a lot of people. And, and it's unfortunate that we have so many good people uh, passing away. Uh, well, I guess that happens every day. It's not anything new, but, uh, but, you know, when I, I read something like that, it's just like, wow, like, like really it makes, it makes all the frustration worth it. And, and I don't want you to think that doing the show is one frustration after the other. It really isn't. Uh, it seems to come in waves lately. I've been having a lot of success getting guests and the guests have been phenomenal but there are times where it's like no matter what you do no matter where you aim you can't hit the target at all and you go through those phases too and those are the frustrating times so um but you know like i said feedback from from Vern smith's family and fe- and reading that from matt like it, it really is amazing and, and it's really touching and and just thank you to everybody who has uh who's ever reached out with any sort of feedback. It just, I can't, I really can't stress enough how much it means to me. And there really are no words to really put it into words that would, would do it justice. So, um, so like I said, Matt, I'm really sorry for your loss. It sounds like a tremendous human being and the world is a much worse place today than it was the, you know, when, when he was alive. So, but I really appreciate the note. Thank you very much. So, um, like I said, today is, September 19th and obviously if you're an Islanders fan or or a hockey fan everybody knows what happened yesterday the Islanders signed uh, Zdeno Chara again before I get to Z I want to say earlier this week the Islanders signed uh, Andy Andreoff now Andy I'm sure is going to spend the bulk of his time if not all of it down in Bridgeport uh Yannick Turcott and it's so hard to say last year's resident heavyweight forward because I think he played a couple of games and last year's season was so weird with the COVID and, and it was just a weird thing, but uh, I'm sure if he was still part of the organization, Yannick would have been the resident heavyweight up front. Um, They had Mike Cornell uh, helping out Seth Helgeson on defense. I don't know what Mike's status is for the upcoming season, but there was definitely um, a void up front for Bridgeport so uh, Andy will definitely fill that role. He's more than capable. Uh, not only a very tough player, but he can play the game also. So uh, if you're not familiar with Andy and you are a Bridgeport fan that watches the games, keep an eye out for him because uh, he's definitely a fine addition to the Islander roster, to the Bridgeport roster. And um, I was happy with that I, when I saw that when I saw that Andy signed, I'm like, wow, this is great. So it's someone, because honestly, before that, I'm thinking, well, Bridgeport season starting soon. I guess it's just going to be Helgeson and uh, they add Andy and that's great. So, uh, so I was pretty content with that. And then uh, yesterday, uh, families on our way to Six Flags and all of a sudden word breaks on Twitter that um, the Islanders signed Chara. Now I'm saying this for one reason, not to, I'm definitely not saying this to pat myself on the back, 
But I have a buddy who told me about a week ago that the Chara thing was a done deal. He heard it through his sources, but I didn't want to say anything because it's not, you know, like I, it's not me. I'm not going to post it going Islanders have signed Chara. It just hasn't been announced yet because it's not, I don't want the credit for it. I didn't, all I did was listen to it. So uh, my friend who knows, my friend who told me, uh, I just want to say, and I said it to you in a text yesterday, you were spot on. Uh, so whoever your sources are, are spot on also. So it was very cool to know that. But yesterday we're on our way to Six Flags and all of a sudden the news breaks on social media that the Islanders signed Chara again. So obviously, yeah, that's a, it's pretty big news. No pun intended, of course. Uh, and it's funny because now, I, I again, I, I think it's a lot of the fans who are hockey fans and not necessarily uh, enforcer fans because now all you're reading is, oh, Ryan Reeves. Uh, Ryan Reeves is scared. Tom Wilson is scared. And listen, the heavyweight on this team is Ross Johnston. Okay. Um, and Matt Martin is the, I guess if you're ranking them or you're giving them titles in terms of weight classes in combat sports, uh, Matt Martin would be the middleweight, but Matt, obviously we all know Matt Martin plays a greater role with this team than just fighting. Uh, and it's a role that Ross has really not been given a consistent opportunity to fill but I know he can do that also I, I, for as much as people want to pigeonhole Ross Johnston as a one dimensional fighter. Uh, he's not Ross can play the game, whether you like it or not. And obviously he's as tough as anybody in the league. Um, the Islanders needed some more grit on the blue line. Scott Mayfield really was the only one that, that filled that role. And now you have Chara, but there, uh, guys who fight for a living, are not shaking at anything. If you fight for a living, you fought the toughest guys that you could fight on your way up, and you fought the toughest guys in the league. Chara is not, he'll be, listen, I don't know how many fights he had last year, but, and I love Chara, but Ryan Reeves, Tom, especially Tom Wilson, he's been playing with Chara the last few years. I mean, come on. I I love this signing, but I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit. Um, you know, he's in his early 40s, still in phenomenal shape. He can still play the game. Yeah, I like the fact that the Islanders signed a physical defenseman. And yeah, it's cool that it's Zidane O'Chara, but um, <laughs> he's he's signed. The, the signing is more for the veteran leadership that he brings and his physical play back there and not necessarily the fighting. The Islanders defense now, they're, they're top six. I can't imagine there's a better top six in the league. You know, you got Pellick and Pulak, you got Mayfield, you got Dobson, you got um, Green, and now you got Chara. I mean, the, that that top six is I, – I find me a better top six. I don't think there is. So what I'm really excited for is that the this team is really coming together. They're adding these pieces. Uh, you know, you add Parise – uh, you add Chara now. So this is, I mean, they were leg the legitimate cup contender before bringing Parise on, before bringing Chara on. And now you add those two guys. And, uh, you know, I mean, really, you may have to go through the fucking island to win the cup this year. So uh, I can't wait for the season to start. And like I said, I'm a Chara fan. I think he gets um, a lot of 
people tout his fighting maybe better than he is. And again, I I've never fought him. If you ask guys who fought him, I'm sure they'll say he's pretty tough. But um, I, I I don't. It's bad because it almost sounds like I'm downplaying him, and I'm not. I love Char. Uh, but I, I think the mainstream fans, just like I said, pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, Ryan Reeves is not scared of Zdeno Chara. Ryan Reeves has fought enough guys in this league. He's not afraid of anybody. He's not afraid of Johnston. He's not afraid of Martin. And I got news for you. Ross Johnston, not afraid of anybody. Matt Martin, not afraid of anybody. Guys that have done this for an extended period of time, it's a job. It's part of, or it's part of their job. They fought all these guys. Matt Martin has fought Jared three or four times, whatever it is, fought him twice last year. Um, it's nice now that they have on on a given night, and I, and maybe against the Rangers, they're going to have Ross Johnston and Matt Martin dressed up front. They're going to have Scott Mayfield and Zidane Chara dressed on the blue line. That's more beef than I think any other team will have in the league. So, yeah, that's, that's another aspect of having adults run the show that, um, you know, it'll be pretty nice. Unfortunately, um, it won't be every game, but there will be some games where all four of those guys will be dressed, and that'll be pretty exciting. So welcome to Long Island, Andy Andreoff, and welcome back to Long Island, Zidane Chara. It is a lot different than when you were here last time. As I've said a few times, today is September 19th. It's my oldest son's birthday turns 21 today and uh it has been an absolute honor being his dad he uh he is what made me a father he's what made my wife a mother uh then we were blessed three years later to have my second son and uh man oh man uh, 21 years i don't know where the time has gone it's uh i was thinking about this yesterday and um you know like what do you say what do you say when you know I remember the day he was born. I remember holding him for the first time, and uh, and now I definitely can't hold him anymore. He's uh, he's a big boy there, so I, I couldn't hold him anymore. But um, you know, all this other stuff, you know, this show and and everything outside of this house is all ancillary stuff. It's all in the periphery because I've said it a million times. Really, the only only things I really care about are my family, and uh, you know. This is uh this is important, all these birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. This is what really counts to me. So um so having my son's birthday be today, it's a pretty special day, and I know uh, we're gonna celebrate later on. And uh so that brings us to my guest today. That brings us to Mr. Matt Karkner. Uh Matt was uh, an unbelievable guest, like I said. It was someone he's someone I've been after for a while. And um, when he got back to me and said, maybe this is the right time to do it, I was pumped. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of running around to do during the day. And Matt is very busy uh, doing stuff with his kids. He's got two two young boys, I think. They're both involved in hockey. They do stuff at school. So I want to thank Matt because we actually did this, uh, this interview over four um, sittings. He was willing to work with me on the times and uh, – just a true gentleman, a very, very nice guy, family man. I have a ton of respect for Matt. I'm not really going to talk too much about what he did on the ice because uh, for this episode and next one, that's uh, that's our job, and that was uh, my pleasure to bring Matt's story to you. Matt was, like I said, a great guest, great memory, and uh, there's some laughs in here too. He does a couple of imitations, spot-on imitations. And, um, well, enough about me talking about Matt. 
why not hear it from the man himself? So I hope you people enjoy part one of my chat with Matt Karkner. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. Today I have a very, very special guest, someone that I have been looking forward to chatting with for a very long time, and uh, I know he's a very, very busy guy, uh, very family man-oriented, and I really appreciate Matt Karkner taking the time to join me today. Matt, how's it going? Hey, Joe. It's uh, going pretty well here. I'm, uh, you know, got a little downtime here before... uh... Everything ramps up with my my kids' hockey and all that kind of stuff, but uh, I'm happy to be on here today. Well, this is like I said, this is a real pleasure for me, and uh, and I appreciate you uh, allowing me to bring your story to the public. So, the first question that I ask all my guests is: um, You were born in uh, Winchester, Ontario, correct? That is correct. Okay, so if I had a time machine and I went back, and normally I say like a little guy, but I don't know if you were ever little. So if I went back and saw a young Matt Karkner skating on a, on a rink or skating on a pond, uh, who were you as a kid? And, and by that I mean if you saw me as, as a youngster playing street hockey here, I always wanted to be Clark Gillies or Bobby Nystrom. Who did Matt Karkner want to be? Yeah, uh, it's an easy one. You know, I grew up uh, on the outskirts of Ottawa, and uh, the, I got to give you the reason behind it is, um, you know, everyone was either a Toronto fan or a uh, Montreal fan because Ottawa didn't have a team at the time. But I rooted for a local boy. Uh, most people, I think, would know his name. Uh, number 19, Steve Eiserman. He was my favorite, and I couldn't have turned out to be as different as he is, but <laughs> that's who I wanted to be when I was playing hockey on the pond and on the street back uh, in Winchester. I was actually from Moorwood, Ontario, which is a smaller place. Um, it's a town of about 700. They got one stop sign in, in the town. If you blink, you'll miss it. But um, yeah, I grew up, uh, I was born in Winchester, grew up in Moorwood, uh, just on the outskirts of Ottawa. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I heard of that guy. I guess I could do a Google search on Steve Eiserman. Sure, there might be yeah. some stuff on there about him, but uh, in case in case anyone isn't familiar with him, I'm sure there might be an article or two on him on Google. Yeah, you could probably Google him up real quick. He's uh, he was he was quite the guy to watch. Definitely, when you're growing up through those uh, dynasty years, they had some good years in Detroit, and obviously Steve was uh, a huge part of it, and he's still in the game today doing it. Yeah, he's a he's a good team builder so far. So, um, once and for all, I, I, when when uh, I watch some of your fights and everything, they always manage to bring up uh, one of your more famous relatives. And it seems like half the time uh, you're related in one way, you're related in another way. Once and for all, what is the relation to Terry Karkner? Oh, good lord! This is we're distantly related. So okay. I always say he's he's about my. I think he's my third cousin. Okay. Um, uh, back in Winchester, there's a lot of Holmeses. Um, there's, you know, a handful of Karkners. Um, and uh, I think he's closer to the Holmes side than he is uh, my my dad's side. But, you know, it's I think I, I always forget. Dad always reminds me. But when me and Terry see each other, we don't even, you know, we don't even know. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's distantly related. We look a lot alike, which is funny. You know, it's like we would be first cousins. But, mm-hmm. uh you know, he's uh, he was a big boy and, and grew up playing kind of the same route I did. Um, you know, played his youth hockey in Winchester, played for the Winchester Hawks, um, and uh, I believe the Brockville Braves, and then on to Peterborough Peets. And that was my route before, you know, moving on to the next league. But 
obviously he had a one heck of a career and, and he is, you know, him, uh, it's him, uh, Brian Helmer, who is my, actually my, he's a closer cousin than Terry is to me, a lesser known guy, but you know, he, he has a defensive scoring record in the AHL and he's the VP hockey operations of the uh, Hershey bears, but he's out of Winchester as well. His dad was the uh, police chief in, in Winchester and everyone knew him quite well. He's a great guy. Um, so yeah, I married uh, my wife, Carrie and Carrie's sister, Pam married Brian. So we are cousins and brother-in-laws. Nice. Try that introduction to the, you know, <laughs> the people you meet. They're like, where the hell are you from? But, <laughs> but uh, we got a good chuckle out of that um, for sure. But yeah, so me, Terry, uh, Slater Kukuk is the newest and, and youngest guy coming out of Winchester area. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, growing up, I definitely followed Terry. Um, he, you know, he was, a obviously a little bit better player than I was, but, uh, holy, he was, he was a tough, tough kid. That's for sure too. Um, played the right way. He had a one close shot at the Stanley cup when he was with Florida and, and, uh, obviously very, very well known from our small hometown. Yeah, I remember watching Terry, uh, you know, starting out with the Rangers, obviously me being here in New York. I uh, remember seeing him uh, come up with the Rangers and then uh, obviously just take off with the Flyers and everything. Really, really tough guy. And, of course, uh, I always kind of rooted for Quebec as well, so he spent some time there. So, uh, so no, I'm a big fan, of, big fan of Terry Karkner. And I did watch uh, Brian Helmer play quite a bit with Albany as we used to make some trips up to the, uh, to the AHL game. So I did see Brian play, uh, play quite a bit up there. So, uh, so nice little, uh, nice little, uh, hockey, I would say hockey community, but it's a hockey community within your, uh, your little family there. So, uh, so that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. A little bit, you know, it's, I wasn't, I wasn't raised in a hockey family at all, really. My dad, you know, blue collar, he, he ran a collision center out of Winchester, kind of, you know, he moved away and was hitchhiking to school at 15 to put himself through college and started this business. And, you know, he, he didn't have time for hockey growing up. You know, he had to, he had to get on with his life. And, and, uh, the biggest thing he did was instill that work ethic and, and that drive for what you cared about. And, and, uh, that kind of got me through my career, but there was, we weren't really a big hockey family. Um, I kind of, you know, my cousins came over, put on the skates, we went on the pond and that's kind of how I, I started things, um, you know, by, by going out on the pond with my cousins and went from there. I was a figure skater for a year, um, and which I think was good for my skating ability. And, and then I got right into the youth hockey, which, uh, you know, was, was definitely, uh, the time of your life that youth those youth hockey years are, are definitely, uh, uh, what it takes, you know, to fall in love with the game. And I, I definitely did that. And uh, talking about your dad, that would be D's Collision Center in Winchester, Ontario, correct? That is correct. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, uh, geez, I don't know, it's 20, they're well over 25 years now um, in the biz. And uh, recently my brother has taken over and is buying the shop from my dad so that my dad can finally retire. Nice. <laughs> Although I don't, think he'll, I don't think he'll ever retire. He's going to be that guy who's who's going to be popping in at the shop, making sure everything's going well. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's definitely done well. He's, he's taken that business on his shoulders and turned it into a real successful business for, for the whole family. And uh, I think it's my, my aunt, my cousin, my brother, uh, my mother, um, uh, she, uh, she worked there as well. So 
uh, family business and it's it's done great. So if you're in the Winchester area and you need body work done on uh, on your car, uh, I think D's Collision Center is absolutely your one and only place to go. Oh yeah, if you if you pop into that place, it you know you walk into most uh, repair shops and it's dirty and and mucky. This place is spotless. It's yeah. it's ridiculous, and I know because my dad that was my job. I had to clean the damn thing all the time. <laughs> and that's why I became a hockey player because I didn't like cleaning. So it's it's definitely a good spot to go if you if you have some time. So uh, so when you were talking about Terry, uh, you talked about the Winchester Hawks and the Brockville Braves. Uh, and that's, like you said, where you got your start. So um, is that uh, is that midget hockey, uh, uh, Winchester? Is that midget? Is that junior B? What level is that? Yeah, so uh, in Winchester, you're, I, I, I believe I played, uh, yeah, I played uh, minor Bantam and major Bantam with the Rito St. Lawrence uh, Kings, which was double A hockey. And that was played out of Brockville. And that was a big step for me. So so uh, my first year, I think I had one goal and two assists as a forward. And then my second year, it was, uh, you know, I kind of exploded scoring-wise. I had 30 goals, 30 assists, something like that. And then what happens usually, if you have a good major Bantam year, um, you know, you'll get some some notoriety. You'll be recruited by certain teams and for me, it was either I stay with the double A team or I take the junior B route. Uh, junior B was, um, you know, anywhere from 16 to 20, I think 21 years old is, was the absolute oldest. Um, so for me growing up watching, I used to go to the Hawks games and it's something kind of like, you know, kind of like a Friday night lights type of thing here. You know, Friday nights you go to the Hawks games, you go with all your buddies uh, from school and and cheer on your your local uh, team. So for me, uh, I thought that because I was a big kid, I was physical, I could handle that. Um, I guess I was uh, 15, 16 at at the age. Um, I wanted to play for the Hawks, but what happened was uh, that summer, I think I was at, geez, I was at a track and field tournament, and I was drafted by the – uh, or sorry, that was, that was the other year. I'm getting confused here. Sorry. That's okay. I was, I was, I was protected by the Brockville Braves, which is a year two team, which is a step below the OHL. Um, so for me, I was protected by the Brockville Braves. I was expecting to, you know, try out and then go to the Winchester Hawks, but out of tryouts, I made the Brockville Braves, uh, out of camp. I was the only, um, rookie on that team cause they were ho- hosting a, uh, what they call a Fred, the Fred page cup, which is the Eastern Ontario championship. So they built kind of a, you know, a good veteran team. And I was one of the young rookies uh, on that team. So for that season, I would have been, I guess, 15, 16 years old, you know, playing against these 20 year olds who, uh, you know, some of them are, are getting uh, recruited by colleges and that kind of thing. It was a pretty good league and I, it was a pretty good jump for me. Um, so, so that's kind of the route you, you play your youth hockey. If you're good enough, you can go to uh, junior, uh, a junior B high school hockey. Isn't even a, isn't even a thing really down there at all. Um, I actually got cut from my high school hockey team. Oh, wow. A girl beat me out. Honestly. Wow. Yeah. Jen, uh, <laughs> uh, geez. Oh my gosh. I know her name. I'm drawing a blank. It haunted me forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Michael Jordan. Didn't he get cut from his high school basketball team? 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't put me in the same boat as Michael <laughs> Jordan, but yeah, similar story. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jen McDonald. Sorry. She, she beat me. She was the last pick and I was the, the cut. Um, so yeah, we didn't really play high school hockey. You go on to junior. And then if you're good at that junior age level uh, at a young age, then you get drafted to the OHL and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, for me, I, I started with Brockville Braves um, under Al McLean and uh, he was a good coach. He, you know, did a great job with that team um, and recognized that I wasn't quite ready at that time to play full minutes and, and develop. So I was bumped back to the Winchester Hawks, my hometown team. And uh, I think that's where I got in, into one of my first, like, you know, big fights. I fought a little bit in the summer, like in showcases and stuff. But one of my first fights, I remember it was, uh, you know, because I'm a young kid, 15 years old, and this 20-year-old comes after me. And just reactionary, you had to rip the helmet off the guy because he had a cage on. And I ripped it off quick, and I was just automatic. You know what I mean? It just came naturally to me. And, it, you know, I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't I wasn't looking to fight or, or make an impact. But uh, that was when I kind of knew I could handle myself pretty well. I was I was going to ask you that, uh, ask you something similar to that when we got to Peterborough. Um, a, a player like yourself now, I think a lot of times people down here, they may not realize that in junior hockey, it's not just 15-year-olds playing against 15-year-olds or 16-year-olds playing against 16-year-olds. You're playing against grown men. There are there are games where you're playing against 20-year-olds. There are training camps when you're, when you're in the same camp as 20-year-olds. And I, I would imagine if you were a smaller player or a less aggressive player, you kind of just go about your business. But someone like yourself, even at 15, 16, I'm sure you were a large person as it is. You play aggressive. Was that something you had to adjust to? Because maybe you didn't even look 15 or 16. And then you have, I, I've, I've asked a lot of guys and they say, oh, I'm in camp and this guy is a full beard or I'm playing games and this guy is a full beard. And was that an adjustment or something that, um, I don't want to say you have to get used to, but uh, but was that something you had to adjust to? Because prior to that, you're probably playing mostly against kids your own age. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and for me, I was just playing the game. I was, uh, I was just naturally physical. I, I, you know, I finished, I, angled guys into the corner and finished my checks hard. I played a rough style of, of game. Um, you know, I, at the younger ages, I did contribute a little bit more offensively, but as I got older, um, my physical game kind of took over and, and it was definitely uh, a little eye opening seeing my first OHL game live and seeing how physical it was and, and the fights and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. This is getting real quick. So uh, for me, it was, uh, I just went out and played and everything kind of came to me, you know what I mean? My first shift in Peterborough, uh, I leveled the kid on a one-on-one. -on -one. I was pretty good with my timing and, and put him on his ass. And then uh, uh, I think I believe it was Adam DeLue from, I think he was in Ottawa at the time. He came and he was a reputable yeah. tough guy. And I was a you know young rookie. No one really knew who I was. And he grabbed me and, you know, we were in a fight real quick. And, uh, and again, it was kind of just natural and I, I did what I had to do and I put him down and he ended up, you know, getting a, a little bit of a concussion. He was out for the game and for a couple of weeks and then, you know how it is, word gets out and then, uh, you get a target, you know, I was, uh, I was one of those guys that people wanted to challenge and, and that's kind of how it all started for me. 
basketball that that first year with Peterborough. Um, I guess Peterborough wanted to put put a team together that could probably challenge some NHL teams in terms of physical play and size. I mean, you had yourself on that team, Larry Shapley, uh, Adam Dewan, and Curtis Foster. All four of you guys are massive human beings. Uh, that must have been a fun team to be a part of. Yeah, no, it was. Um, you know, Shaps was, you know, the kind of quiet, uh, tough guy out there. He, you know, he he played his role, and I think he, he ended up getting a game in the NHL, I believe. Um, I'm not sure. He, I don't he know was that. a big fella. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I think he did, and and he did a good job. And and for me to to see him going through that type of role, um, you know, was kind of beneficial for me. Um, and, and at the same time, we had you know, Fozzie wasn't he didn't have to fight like me, but he was a big boy and took up a lot of space. And uh, Dewey, I loved I loved him. He he would uh, run through a wall for you, and and he was a great teammate and played that gritty, edgy style. Um, so we, we are definitely well protected. Um, and for me to, to kind of have that support and, and, uh, and, you know, have, have Shaps there taking care of anyone who kind of uh, took advantage of our players. We had Shaps taking care of one. And then if something else happened, I'd be there, you know, it was a good kind of tandem. Um, but yeah, we definitely had, had size. We had some skill. Uh, uh, the one thing I regret is in our, you know, we never, I don't think we ever overachieved. We, we kind of, we were first round knockouts um, a bunch of years in a row, and and that's the only we needed a little bit more on the uh, offensive side and and uh, maybe some goaltending, and it could have been a little different for us. But that's the one thing that always, you know, I look back and I'm like, geez, we could have won this. It's it's a bunch of could haves, you know. I yeah. I, I wish we uh, could have went through and, and won some of those championships or or went a little further with the crew we had because they were a, a good bunch of guys. Uh, one guy I want to ask you about that you fought your rookie year, and uh, I'm not sure if you remember the fight, um, but it's a guy that you would have battled with uh, a bunch of times, former Islander draft pick and uh, former guest of the show, Jeff Zare. Uh, do you remember uh, if either fighting Jeff, or do you remember just playing against him? I remember fighting him. I, yeah. I, I, uh, he was he was also, you know, obviously he's, what is it, he's coaching right now or something. Yeah, he's the owner, GM of uh, Plattsville Lakers. Plattsville, yeah, Plattsville yep. Lakers. Yeah, that's right. Um, so he, uh, yeah, he was definitely a reputable guy. I don't remember the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it went okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, there's there's some that just, you know, that just, I, I, you, you you don't get to see because mm-hmm. the video wasn't there and and uh it, it's kind of hard for me to remember yep. i do remember a lot of them but mm-hmm. but zara i i remember him as a player and yep. and being a little intimidated but uh i think i i overcame that fear with him for sure well we're gonna we're gonna test the memory of yours coming up pretty soon but uh going into your second year uh rick elaine was named the head coach and uh and uh, rick was uh, a physical player uh, in the minors i remember watching him play a little bit um did he uh how was he as a coach for you did he help you at all in any way well rick was i liked rick um you know uh, nothing against brian drum or or uh you know my first year brian drum was there and i was kind of you know i was green i was a rookie i didn't really I, I, I took me a little while to get going, but Rick definitely, uh, he brought in some people and, and, and helped with the development side and, and kind of, it just felt like it was a little bit more structured and, uh, we had more of a purpose to our game and, 
and he he kind of got down to the fundamentals and really taught us some of the fundamentals because I, I believe with uh, with uh, Brian we're more of a you know simple game get it off the glass and out and you know uh, dump and chase type of thing where where Rick actually you know he was trying to teach us structure and and uh, the fundamentals of the game to help us with our development so a lot of a lot of you know defensive specific stuff before practice um, working on our skating our pivoting our stick positioning, um, just passing, uh, simple things like that uh, really helped, I think, uh, improve on all of our fundamentals. Um, but Rick, to me, he was just a I, – I respected Rick a lot. Um, he, he didn't tell me what I needed to hear. He, he told me his honest, his honest opinion, and, and uh, I do believe it helped me, um, especially when I left Peterborough. He, he just said if – you know, play to your strengths. Like you, you are a big physical guy and, and fighting will get you uh, pretty far in the game. If, if you can uh, continue doing it the way I'm, I was doing it, which was, uh, you know, I was pretty good in, in the OHL with that part of the game. But uh, no, I, I definitely respect Rick. He was really good to us, especially as I became a, an older player. He, uh, he was very open and honest with me and, and that's all I want. Uh, now this season, uh, Larry Shapley had moved on, so the heavy lifting went to uh, you and uh, Dewan, and uh, you led the team in penalty minutes. And uh, part of that journey to leading the team in penalty minutes, you had um, two fights that year versus uh, Brett Cloutier, and in your OHL career, you fought Brett five times. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the rivalry with him? Yeah, Brett was—he's uh, a funny guy. Um, I got to know him a little bit. Uh, uh, later on our career once uh you know i think we were drafted we we're in the same draft and and uh uh but he he would uh he would kind of taunt me on the way to the rink in kingston he'd get on the radio <laughs> and uh my coach you know he was smart enough to put it on the radio so that i could hear it and he's like oh yeah karkner's coming in tonight He's like, I'm going to take him out. It's only going to be a few punches. And, you know, he, he would just try to stir the pot with, uh, I don't know, with his team, get him hyped up. I don't know what it was. But, you know, I just took that as ammo. And and uh, I don't think he, I don't know, I, he would always brag up on on how tough he was and all that. And I, I think it was part of his character. He's a pretty funny guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just was kind of quiet about it. And, and whenever he challenged me, it didn't last too long for Brett. In my, in my honest opinion, I think yeah. we had a, a couple of good fights, but a lot of them ended quick. Yeah. Well, he's a uh, uh, modern day Reg Dunlop then getting on the radio and promoting the matchups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was, I, I, I still remember that. I'm like, Oh my gosh. This guy's <laughs> but uh, no, I, looking back at it, it's, it's actually pretty funny, pretty funny story. And uh, I'm sure uh, I'm, I, I, I think we, uh, I don't know. I, I see him on, uh, I'm not on social media a lot, but right. when I, I do see my, my wife's got it on. She, I think she's, she, I see his stuff uh, on there, but uh, he's definitely a character. Uh, do you remember the three fight game you had with Andrew Posternicki? Oh, Posternicki. Yeah. He had, uh, ah, yeah, he was, uh, he had a move. I remember this is where I kind of learned it, where he tried to duck under, if I was holding him out with my left, he'd try to duck under my left and then throw over the top. Um, that was kind of his move to kind of catch guys off guard. But I think, I don't know, I, 
forget how I saw it, but we had we we had video of it, and I saw it before because video obviously wasn't huge back then. Right. But but I saw it. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm ready for this. So I kind of waited for him to come out of that, and then I I would wait for his head to pop back up, and then I I tag him, and you know, he, again, he was a pretty tough kid as well. But um, yeah, that was kind of those guys would come through, and it just kind of built my confidence if you know what i mean yep. I, I kept winning those fights and and uh getting kind of more of a, a reputation that way uh one guy that you fought that year who was always very entertaining and unfortunately uh his career was was kind of ended by uh, another big dude eric cairns uh richard scott who was with oshawa always always a fun guy to watch fight always wide open uh do you remember fighting uh richard scott yeah i do remember that when that was wide open yeah. um you know, I, I, he kind of caught me off guard, I believe early and, and just because of the volume he was, he was trying to throw and he was quick and he, you know, he wasn't overly, um, imposing, like he didn't look threatening. Um, but when he got into the fight, he was definitely a gamer and he was a tough, he was a tough kid, but, um, I believe I caught him with a late one and, and that kind of ended the fight. Uh, but man, he, he definitely stepped up and he would fight anybody. Yeah. Uh, tell me what the experience was like. Uh, you're uh, you're playing in the CHL top prospects game. You're named to that game, and uh, you're playing for Team Cherry. What was that whole experience like? Uh, that was a definitely a unique experience. Um, you know, I was playing with the Pete's, and uh, I remember my agent telling me, you know, I'm going to the top prospect game and, and all that. And, and uh, just recently, right before I was about to leave, I had strep throat. And I was sick and my agent's like, don't go, don't go to the game. You're going to look terrible. And I'm like, I'll get through it. Don't worry. <laughs> and so uh, it was definitely an ex- a great experience for me because the year before uh, I was finding my way. I was not a good player. I was sitting on the bench a lot and, and uh, you know, trying to, trying to learn the game as it, as we were going through it. And I took a big step that year and, and to get this kind of recognition was something that really wasn't on my radar um and when it happened it was it was just you know it was nice it was it was good to be recognized for sure um so so when we got there there was all this talk uh martin grenier was there there's a couple tough guys but me and marty grenier were on the same team and you know he was a huge human being as well um i remember meeting him and uh he's like i'm i'm going to get in the first fight in top prospect history and i was like <laughs> I was like, okay, that's good. Good for you. And I was looking at the other roster. I'm like, oh, there's not really anyone. Like, unless me and you fight on the same team, Marty, <laughs> it's not going to probably happen. You know, this is a top prospect game. This is more of a skill showcase. Um, so so I had a little chuckle about that. And, uh, you know, he was definitely sizing me up. He he was, he was wanted to be the toughest guy there. And and he, you know, I, I never got to fight him till later on, but he, he was definitely a big, strong man. And, um, no, but, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, go, I was just going to talk about the whole experience. Uh, please, please. You know, you know, it's a showcase. So it's for me, and this is what a lot of people like growing up. I, I always was a player first. I tried to be, you know, as elite as I could be, um, with what I was given. I, I never played real triple A. I don't think I got the best coaching with with you know skills and all that kind of development so I was pretty raw uh, so going to that was was a definitely a step but uh, we got into the uh, we did a practice and then at the end I guess there was a shootout competition 
And the winner got a, a Bobby Orr jersey. Oh. And we go down round one. And I had pretty much two moves at the time, which is funny because I don't think I ever had a breakaway <laughs> shot in my career. But, you know, we do it after practice. And I had just two simple moves. I'd fake shot, go backhand shelf if I could, or I'd just pull it across and, and go upstairs. And for some reason, I, everything I – I did was working Mm -hmm. and we went through six rounds and at the end it was Chris beach and me for the shootout competition. I'm like, my God, I could win this thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And, and, uh, unfortunately I ran out of my magic and, and, uh, probably just dumped it in the corner. I don't even remember what my last move was, but, um, Chris beach won the Jersey, but I, I'm pretty, I was pretty happy about coming up uh, as a runner up there. That's for sure. Should have you should have grabbed him in the locker room and taken the jersey. <laughs> well, yeah, I could have, but I don't know. That would have been uh, uh, if it was a fighting contest. I might have had a better chance, I guess. <laughs> and uh, and uh, much to uh, Martin Grenier's chagrin, you were actually the person that did get into the first fight in the history of the game when you fought Kyle Lonvik. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, and again, that's just you know I was. I wasn't planning. Usually when these things happen, I'm not planning anything. It just kind of, yeah. I play the game hard and, and people come to me. So I think Kyle wanted to make an, uh, you know, make a name for himself. And I I came around the the net, I believe, and I broke the puck out. And then he came in and cross-checked me like three times up high. And I'm like, really? And uh, I, cause I never thought he'd want to fight me. I didn't really know who he was, but he wasn't very imposing. And, and, uh, we dropped our gloves. He started throwing and I kind of got caught off guard, but then I got a hold of him and, and bent him over and then threw a bunch of uppercuts. And, and that was the end of that. He came up. Uh, I remember the the video, he spit blood all over his visor. It just looked real nasty. And, uh, you know, I went to the box and when I get back to the bench after serving my penalty, uh, Don looks over at me. He's like, Hey kid, if you're going to do it, that's the way you do it. And <laughs> gave me the big thumbs up. And, uh, you know, that was pretty cool for me, you know, being a Canadian kid, uh, watching Don Cherry, Coach's Corner, and and all of that. So, so uh, very, very cool experience. I'm glad it, you know, went that way and not the other way. Well, I was going to ask you, as you may imagine, uh, I am a monstrous Don Cherry fan. So I was going to ask you, what was uh, what was the experience like being around Don for a few days there? Oh, it was great. Obviously, you know, he is a character. He's a, he's a, well, was a Canadian icon, I guess, you know, lately things are uh, a little different now and uh, you got to be careful with anything you say. So make sure you edit anything in this podcast that you think is wrong because I, you know, I want a future in, in the game. So anyways, he, he was, uh, he was great. He was just a class act and, and, uh, in practice, it was just really, you know, we had him and Lanny McDonald on our bench. So I don't think you get two cooler people on, on your bench for a game. I know the other side had uh, Bobby Orr, which <laughs> is pretty cool as well. Right. But, yeah. uh, but for a kid, you know, coming from nothing and not having any kind of hockey pedigree, uh, you know, being involved in that and, and the way they treated us and signing autographs and, and just taking the time with us, that was definitely a, a surreal experience. Well, First of all, Don is still a Canadian icon. He has one of the 
highest ranking podcasts out there. And and the funny thing is with all the people that wanted them off the air uh, for fans of Don, like myself, we went from getting them for five to seven minutes once a week to getting them now anywhere for 30 minutes to an hour once a week on his podcast. So uh, once again, Don wins, we win as fans uh, worked out, worked out great. I mean, obviously not the way he went out, but he's still a Canadian icon and your Don Cherry imitation absolutely spot on pretty good eh? yeah well no it was it was great he was he was a class act and and uh he was actually uh he uh my wife uh did a children's book and yes. he uh he mailed a letter and i think he a little i don't know if he did a forward or or what but he definitely he sent a hat with the you know signed autographs and a, a nice little note and and all that kind of stuff for uh, supporting the book and and everything we were doing so you know years later uh he probably doesn't remember me you know but but it, you know he reached out and or we reached out and he responded with uh you know uh more than what we expected so just another uh uh great thing that that don is doing that's for sure yeah i want to talk about that book later on and and uh you know coincidentally when i had written my book i had sent him a copy and i never i just sent him a copy because he's been a hero of mine forever i never thought he'd even read it or whatever and the next thing i know a, a month or two later i'm getting a package in the mail from uh hockey night in canada and it's just a whole bunch of stuff that don had sent me and including like you said a handwritten note and i think i was in tears i was just blown away so i think it really just you know that's good to hear that he did the he did the same thing with you guys and all it says to me is that he he the, he's a man of the people I, I think we all know that and uh just what a what an amazing human being yeah definitely no and that's that's cool to hear that he that he responded because your book was you know that was uh your story is is i'm sure everyone knows is is quite the story and and uh of heroism and and don i know would definitely respect that and i'm sure he did read the book from start to finish um because that that's something he's definitely interested in he did. I mean, he, in his note, he wrote certain things that he never would have been able to know if he didn't read the book. That's why I was just, I think it took the wind out of me, like in a good way. I just couldn't believe it. I called my wife. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. And I was, you know, but, uh, but yeah, but he's, uh, you know, he's still a hero to me. He always will be. And uh, I always say, I hope to meet him one day uh, at some point before one of us goes, but, uh, but it definitely that's on the bucket list for sure. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he's, uh, he's one of a kind. That's for sure. So the cool thing about doing interviews like this is, and and like I said before we started recording, is I want this to be about your journey and and the way that you introduced uh, yourself into your starting the OHL about how you had you had a lot to learn and all this other stuff, and then next thing you know, the next year you're in the top prospects game, and then you win the uh, Eastern Conference Most Improved Player Award in the OHL. So I think it really is just a, a tribute to your work ethic and the work that you put in, uh, and and this is stuff that maybe people wouldn't know about if they don't know uh, uh anything other than your nhl stuff and uh, and i think it's just a real compliment to you that within a matter of two seasons you went from someone that was probably pretty raw to playing in a top prospects game to winning a, a most improved player award i think that says a lot about you well uh yeah like uh, you know i'm a small town boy from uh you know winchester and i i didn't have a ton of resources so all i knew and i think i started um speaking on on why I, I am a hard worker and it's from my dad and watching him and how hard he worked for what he wanted in life and for me uh you know the NHL was kind of a dream and and uh 
it seemed pretty far away from reality. And, and uh, after my first year in the OHL, I, you could have bought me for a nickel if uh, you told me I'd be in the top prospects game, that's for sure. Uh, and uh, that summer, I really put in the work and, and it kind of, you know, developing and, and kind of growing into my body because I was still growing at that point. Um, it all kind of came together and, and uh, brought me to another level. But it is, it's just, you, you can take, take it as far as you want. Uh, you know, obviously there's, there's certain things, God's gifts uh, that, that you're given, uh, the, the, the talent that, that some people just have, you know, I, I, I'm never going to be, <laughs> I was never going to be, you know, like a, a dynamic, uh, you know, power play guy. Um, I knew my role and I knew what I needed to do to, to improve upon it. And I think I, I always tried to maximize what I could do and, and, uh, and how hard I worked and, and, and tried to, to make sure that every workout counted and, and every practice counted. And, uh, I, I still kind of bring that philosophy with me into, uh, into coaching my kids and, and, uh, my players. And I, actually, you'd be the perfect guy to bring this up to because this is a conversation that uh, I had with, with Eric Cairns a long time ago, back when he was playing. And uh, probably a year or so ago, we had a similar conversation talking about Ross Johnston. Uh, for players like Cairns and, and Ross and yourself, I think people automatically think just because you're bigger, it gives you an advantage. But when you're that size, but you're that young, you still have a lot to learn. There's a lot involved in growing into your size. Uh, and that's something that, that I know I've discussed, like I said, with Eric. But can you talk about that? Because I think a lot of people just think, well, he's this monster out there. But with that size, being 16, 17 years old, I think for people on the outside, it looks pretty easy. But there's a lot more involved, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. No, it's, uh, it's a big part of the game. And that's, you know, with uh, youth parents and, and, you know, youth hockey, you, you see it a lot. People... Uh, you know, they think the kid at, at Pee Wee is going to be the stud or who's the stud at Pee Wee is going to be the stud moving forward. Um, growth is is all at different ages. And there's some kids who are late bloomers. There's some kids who bloom early. Um, for me, I was kind of, you know, I was always big, but I was still developing through the OHL and into a man. And and each year there was, there was differences. I think that first year I was just so raw and I didn't have any fast twitch muscles. My feet were real bad. I had to work on my skating, but every time you, you work on it and then you grow, it all changes again. So you kind of have to restart, you know, you got to reset yourself and, and train your body, your new body, how to, how to uh, function as, as effectively as possible. So for me, it was every summer I was, I was doing skills, uh, skating, uh, you know, I do camps and, and just work on that skating because because that's really what it is. Once you get skating down, everything else kind of comes with it. I remember sometimes, you know, I a little time would go by and and I'd be missing pucks all the time uh, just on passes. And I realized, geez, I haven't lengthened my stick. I've grown two inches. I've lengthened my stick and, I'm you know, I'm just you know, raw like that, I had to figure it out on my own. So there's a lot that goes into it. And then there's, you know, your, your, your coordination, it, it always changes. Every growth spurt, your coordination takes a hit and you just got to keep working through it. So it's definitely a challenge. It's being a big guy too. You're pushing a lot more weight. So, you know, we're, we're trying to defend against these little, you know, five foot uh, seven kids who are flying little water beetles, yeah. what I call them, all over the ice. We're trying to contain them, and, and it's, it's tough when you, 
you have that extra weight on. Uh, at what point during your second season in Peterborough, maybe it was after the prospects game, did uh, did the draft talk, talk start? Like when did uh, – and obviously I, I think I, I can say, knowing you a little bit, I'm sure you were focused on the season for Peterborough, so maybe it was after the season. But when did you start hearing whispers about the draft and being potentially a higher pick? Yeah, I think there was a, an article in Hockey News at some point that someone pointed out to me and I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, again, I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't follow it mm-hmm. uh, uh, that closely because uh, it, it wasn't on my radar, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, cool. It's my draft year, and, and we'll see where it ends up. And uh, that's kind of my focus. I just worked through the year, and, and, and where I landed at the draft was where I landed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was surprising, to be honest with you, when I first heard it. Uh, kind of good news. It, it gave you a little – little confidence boost so so that's definitely uh was a was a positive moment for sure now uh so often you hear when people talk about their their draft day and the pre-draft stuff uh the team that ultimately drafts you a lot of times they don't even interview you they you know you oh this team interviewed me three times and they didn't pick me they passed on me i didn't even talk to this team uh you were ultimately drafted by montreal uh were there other teams that had expressed interest to you Uh, was montreal hot for you like right from the beginning what was that pre-draft experience like yeah uh that whole summer leading up to the draft yeah it was a little crazy uh i remember even during the season i i did a i did a geez it was a I don't know if it was like a psychological test, something like that. Um, with Dallas, they had a, a long test I had to write out, and then I talked with with a sports psychologist. And then uh, I think it was uh, you know it was Button, uh, Craig Button, mm-hmm. uh, interviewed me. Uh, so I was like, wow, I, I got a lot of attention from Dallas. And then uh, I was flown out to St. Louis for testing and and uh, some interviews uh, and an on ice practice. I went to uh, I went to uh, where else did I go? I went to probably five or six different places. Uh, Montreal was kind of a last minute thing. I hopped on the train and did I did I think it was an on ice practice and a uh, dry land test like a, of agility. Mm-hmm. And uh, people didn't know this really about me, but I was like I was very athletic off ice. So so my testing, my test results were always very very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's kind of what put me through with Montreal. I didn't really expect them because there wasn't there wasn't much talk with them. I just kind of did the practice, the test, and I was back on my way. So pretty pretty surprised that Montreal did take me in uh, in the end. And also there was there was word that uh, Boston was very interested in me as well coming up to the draft. So we were looking at a Boston. You know, I was looking at Boston's picks pretty closely. Mm. Uh, Montreal definitely surprised me. So for a small town kid from Ontario, uh, being able to put on a Peterborough Peach jersey, being drafted by Peterborough Peets is a big deal. But now you, uh, your NHL experience, you want up that. What is it like putting on that Montreal Canadiens jersey? Ah, man, it's rewarding, right? That's uh, you work your your whole kind of youth hockey career to to live out your dream, and that was definitely. Uh, you know, it was definitely rewarding. Obviously, it was one step, right? It's a small step, but as a kid <clears throat> in the moment, that's a, a huge achievement. And, you know, being from a small town, everyone knows you. It's It was big news back home in, in Winchester and and uh, definitely a sense of pride to to accomplish that at a young age. 
Uh, how intimidating was that first training camp with Montreal? Because again, we always talk about you're you're a big dude and everything, but you're still a kid, and now you're walking into one of the most story franchises in the history of sports, and you're going into a training camp with them, uh, walking into that locker room, and you see all the pictures and everything that they have there with that history. What? How intimidating was that? Yeah, that was something else. Uh, that's for sure. You know, um, Peterborough's locker room, you know, was. <laughs> was nice and everything yeah. but uh, going to an nhl facility and and seeing all the history there on the walls and and uh, all the plaques and, and of all the players in the dressing room um and just being a part of a small part of that was overwhelming for sure um <clears throat> and obviously walking into to an nhl training camp uh, we we had to get through rookie camp mind you and we'll probably get to that a little later i'm sure you want to talk about that but yeah but uh just just being there and and seeing it you kind of feel the history uh in that building now i believe a friend of mine who i just had on the show um who didn't play for the islanders but uh we could talk about that later did you room with darcy harris yeah (laughs) a tough kid man holy you know what i was supposed to room with uh Oh my gosh! I'm drawing a blank. I was I my first training camp. I was supposed to room with Terry, Terry Ryan, Terry Ryan. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was having a dispute with the team and mm-hmm. didn't really know what he wanted. So I was, you know, I moved into to a room and I'm like, okay, my roommate's Terry. Where is he? One day goes by. I had my own room. Two days goes by, no Terry. And then finally, I hear that he's he's not coming to camp. So I ended up going with uh, Darcy, and uh, yeah, he played a hard game. Man. Yep. He was an aggressive player. He fought. He was edgy, uh, gritty, and I was looking forward to playing with him uh, with the Citadels in the AHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, things didn't work out, but yeah, definitely a, a great guy and a good guy to have kind of lead the way. You know, as when I'm kind of going through it uh, as a rookie. Yeah, he's a teacher now in uh, PEI. Yeah, yeah. No. I could have told you that. Yeah, he's he's definitely a, definitely that's a good role for him for sure. So uh, I know that you got into uh, and I, I guess this was a maybe a rookie game against Florida. Uh, you had fought uh, Paul Harvey and Brad Ferentz in the same game. Was that a rookie game or was that a, a regular exhibition game? Those were rookie games. So back then, uh, I believe the exhibition games were paid games. So you would get a certain amount of money. So it was real prestigious if you could get into one of those regular uh, exhibition games and that was kind of my goal but we had to get through a rookie tournament first mm-hmm. which i forget where we were i think once it was in p like out in pi mm-hmm. um the other year i think it might have been uh laval something like that but uh yeah we had uh ottawa tampa and florida i believe in those in those rookie uh tournaments and and there was a two-fight rule, and if you fought twice, you were kicked out. So for those rookie games, uh, I guess they tried to limit it. Um, but <laughs> I think that first game I played, it was uh, Harvey, and there was another, and uh, you said... Uh, Ferentz. So I fought those two guys in my two first shifts, and that was it. <laughs> that was the game. So <laughs> I didn't really get to see if I could play much or not, but uh, but all my fights in those went really well, and by the uh, third game, my coach is like, okay, Karks, we know you can fight now. Let's play the game a little bit here. And it was uh, – my coach was uh, Michelle Tarian. 
Oh, okay. He had the very thick accent. So yeah. And uh, I, 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 it was, it was, that was a a new challenge in itself. And then, you know, you get to, uh, you get to main camp after that fighting, you know, battling in the tournament, you're kind of exhausted, right? Yeah. Back then they didn't have the limitation on the time. So I, I believe we're at rookie camp for like two weeks and we did the rookie tournament for a week. And then, then you're already three weeks in and you're going to main camp and you're kind of exhausted at that point. While you were in camp with Montreal, did you ever have the opportunity to talk with Jerry Fleming? I did. Yes, yeah. I did. And he was a very good guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, um, just, uh, I, I spoke to him briefly, but always mm-hmm. gave him the time of day. Yeah. I love Jerry. I'm not surprised. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his and I got to know him pretty well. So, uh, so I'm really happy. He just got a coaching job in the East coast league. Oh, okay. Good. In, uh, Iowa. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, uh, mm-hmm. I definitely remember Jerry always good. Very good to me. Yeah. Uh, so now going back to Peterborough after that first camp at Montreal, uh, I wonder because now you're you're with NHL players for a couple of weeks. Is the OHL game not easier, but compared to in an NHL camp, is the OHL game a little bit slower now? Do you or are you faster? And I don't mean you know speed wise, but um, is it easier to break down the game now that you had been in an NHL camp for a couple of weeks? Oh yeah, no, I, I remember coming back to Peterborough and. and uh... You know, I was flying up the ice on rushes, and I'm like, "What the?" I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Wow, I'm fast." You know, and, and looking back at it, yeah, now I'm I'm older, right? And there's more young kids in the league, and you know, I've got that experience, so I should be, you know, I should be ahead of the game. And but uh, going from that pace and and that style uh, uh, of game to an OHL game was definitely a, a change of, of pace. Um, so, so I, I was definitely grateful for the camp experience and, and how it helped me kind of develop, uh, uh another gear really. Uh, when you went back to Peterborough, you had a, a new teammate that year who, uh, unfortunately is no longer with us, but really good player, really tough player. Uh, what are your memories of playing with Steve Montador? Yeah, Monty, he was a great, great guy. Um, he came, he, we traded for him and, uh, you know, undrafted guy. And I was shocked because uh, he was a hell of a player. You know, he, he had a lot of the tools. He was big, he was strong. He was, he was tough, uh, uh, was very creative. You know, uh, he'd navigate the ice very well up, up uh, through the neutral zone and, and uh, just kind of helped us take our game to another level. Um, and off ice, he was great. I remember going over to Monty's uh, often we were, you know, we'd, go bridge jumping uh, into the river and all that kind of stuff and have some fun that way. Um, but good teammate. Uh, we kind of were, we were a very tight knit group and, and uh, to see, you know, what happened with Monty is, is awful and, yeah. and kind of, you know, shocking. And uh, it definitely uh, makes you uh, more aware of what people are going through. And uh, it's just very, very unfortunate. Yeah. Um Many players have played uh, for Peterborough in the history of the franchise, but only a fraction of those players have ever been named captain. Uh, how big of an honor was it to be uh, captain at Peterborough? Oh, that was a huge honor. Um, coming in, I remember uh, Jeff Tuey introducing me to, to Mike Martone, who was the captain. 
uh, when I when I was coming in uh, as a young recruit and and uh, Mike Martone was a class act and you know he kind of showed me the way how to lead and how to keep the guys together uh, make the team a team if if you know what I mean yeah um, and it's all the little things it's it's just the little details and and keeping guys uh, towing the the same way towing the line the same way right and and all all uh, working together for that same goal um, and off ice everyone was together there was uh, any any time we had off we were all together and, and it was it wasn't mandatory but it it seemed like it was mandatory because everything we did off the ice we were all together all the time and uh, and that helped me uh, you know when I took that next step and and the role I played you know protecting my teammates kind of standing up for my teammates and all that. Uh, when they named me captain, uh, it, it just kind of was a natural fit. And uh, I didn't change really anything. And I had a good bunch of guys to kind of support me in that way. We had we had a good leadership group. And and uh, and it was definitely a, it was definitely a sense of pride wearing the C on the jersey for sure. And once again, you led the team in penalty minutes and also your goal totals went up. This is the third year in a row in Peterborough that uh, you increased your goal totals. Nothing like the following season, but uh, but I guess that comes with confidence and uh, and playing time also. But I just wanted to bring that up to the folks listening that uh, obviously a lot of the things that uh, Matt Karkner brings to the table are intangible things that you can't measure with numbers, let's say. But I did want to point out that this is the third year in a row that your goal totals did go up from the blue line. So I, I, nothing that you need to comment on. I just wanted to uh, to point that out. Um, one guy who you fought twice that year, uh, I would call him a lightning rod. Uh, Sean Avery with uh, Kingston. Uh, do you remember fighting Sean? I don't know if you can call it so much of a fight and me just grabbing him. Um, I remember Sean Avery very well. He was a pain in my, you know, pain in my butt. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, I hated him so much. One time he was just skating. He was skating by on like a four check and I was out of the play, but I just suckered him uh, like with a right hook and he went flying, nearly did a backflip. Um, I don't think I got called for it. The refs didn't like the guy. Yeah. So, so uh, we had a little history and, and uh, yeah, I would go after him. I don't know if you could call them. Those were easy fights. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I... I, I despised him just because of the lack of respect for anyone. I, I, I remember my, uh, I think my, uh, my sister, <laughs> I was in the penalty box after one of those incidents happened and he was just, you know, he was being fouled everyone. And yeah. all of a sudden I see my sister pointing and screaming at him. Like, <laughs> I don't know what she was saying. I don't think I want to repeat it on air, but um, <laughs> she was not happy with him. So he definitely had an impact and that's the way he, he played and that's what he brought to the table when he played in the NHL. But uh, I can't say that I was ever a fan of him. <laughs> You're not alone. You're not yeah. alone. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, one guy who you did fight that year, I believe you fought him twice total in the OHL and someone who uh, I believe is uh, way more respected in terms of uh, being an enforcer uh, was with Sudbury and that's Kip Brennan. Do you remember fighting Kip? Yeah. Yeah. I remember Kip. He, uh, uh, well, and he was an intimidating guy. And that's kind of one of those games you have marked on your calendar. And, and at that time I knew my role a lot better. Um, I knew that if anything got out of hand or if we needed a spark, that that would be the guy I would, I would take care of. Um, and, uh, yeah, Kippy was a big kid. He was, he was, uh, 
a little intimidating and 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 for me it was kind of one of those things we played him a couple times a year and I had to I had to do it I had to fight him just to see what he was like it's kind of for me it's always uh you know a lot of guys deal with anxiety and 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 all that kind of stuff for me if I feared something or or just didn't know I I needed to face that head on and, and get it you know get past it as quick as possible because that made made uh, life easier on me. I didn't have to think about things. The unknown is kind of what scares you. And uh, for me, I just had to do it and, and see see what would happen. And for me, the first fight, I think I did very well. I think it was a I, I caught him real clean in the jaw and put him down. Um, you know, kind of kind of surprised Kippy. I think I don't I don't think Kippy uh, knew I had had good punching power and that's what it was. I got him with a, a hard right and and that was it. And then we fought again and it was a better fight. It was, you know, we were going back and forth, back and forth, um and until the end and and he flipped he ended up over uh overreaching and, and he I kind of hit him from behind, you know, as as he was overthrowing, I hit him on the side. And he went face down into the ice uh, in his forehead and his helmet was off. And who I remember we were on the ice and he flipped over and I, it was like a cartoon. There was a, this big horn that popped out of his forehead. You know? uh, and I was like, yeah. I was like, Oh, Kippy. I'm like, are you all right, buddy? And he, he kind of was dazed, you know, probably from hitting the ice. Like, <laughs> like you better go see your trainer, buddy. Yeah. He's like, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a, he was a fine guy. He was a, he was a character, that's for sure. But uh, those are my two only fights with Kippy. Yeah. And uh, they went well, fortunately for me. Others didn't go so well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Was. Well, I think it was uh, one of your former teammates, Jeremy Oblonsky and uh, Trevor Gillies. They say if uh, if you're winning all your fights, you're not fighting the right guys. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's 100% right. Um, going into your second camp at Montreal, so – Obviously, you're still a young kid. It's still Montreal, but uh, was it a little more comfortable going in because you had already been through one camp already? Yeah, I felt more comfortable, um, definitely. I remember going into the camp and, and going through the drills and, and just being you know, more familiar with the drills, more familiar with the people, and uh, feeling that, hey, like I, I can do this. Uh, I think the first year, again, just like my first year in the OHL, it's kind of overwhelming a little bit. Um, wasn't quite prepared, didn't, wasn't as good as I thought I was and, and uh, needed a little bit of a reality check. And that second year, I, I had a good camp. Again, the same kind of situation. We got a lot of good coaching. Um, uh, we had to go through the rookie tournament and then uh, main camp. And I, at that year, I went down to the Citadels camp after rookie camp, after main camp, I went to the AHL camp and, uh, you know, had a really good camp with them, did some exhibition games, uh, Again, it was Michelle Terrian as the head coach there. And uh, Michelle had me in his office, and we were getting ready. It was like getting ready for the AHL season to begin. And he's like, Karks, I'm, I'm going to play you. Uh, you're going to start in our first game. And I'm like, I'm like, awesome, Michelle, but I don't have a contract yet. <laughs> like, uh, I, like, they don't want to sign me. Yeah. And uh, he's like, what? He's like, let me, and it was Ray Jean Wool at the time. He's like, let me uh, talk to Ray Jean Wool and we'll figure this out. And uh, for me, I called my agent. I'm like, listen, Larry, like, they want me to play. Like, what can I do? Can I play? And he's like, no, you can't play because you can't play without a contract. You know, if anything happens, you're, you're on your own. And uh, 
so Rajon Wu called and and uh, you know for for what I was bringing to the table, he it was apparent that he did not want me. He did not want to sign me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a difference of opinion with Michelle and and uh, maybe Alain Vigneault at the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe Alain didn't like my main camp. I thought my main camp was good, to be honest with you. They didn't really give me a shot in the, in the games, uh, which probably would have gave a better indication. Uh, but Michelle liked me, and he wanted me on the team. He wanted me to play, and, and uh, Rajon Ull at the time did not. So that's kind of what happened with, with the whole – not signing with Montreal and uh, becoming a free agent. Uh, in that in that camp with Montreal in the rookie games, I know there was a game against Tampa, another two-fight game, uh, Christian Kudrak and uh, Brett Scheffelmeyer. Uh, do you remember fighting those guys? Yeah, Kudrak, uh, geez, he, he had, uh, I remember he had a reputation. I thought he, I think he, he broke someone's orbital in the tournament before we played him. And then he ended up hurting uh, Gordy Dwyer in a fight mm-hmm. earlier as well. So I was like, "Ooh, this guy's this guy is tough." Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know what size he is. He was he was a big guy. I think I, I remember him being pretty pretty big fella. And uh, yeah, so for me, again, it was that was another game where you know, I played maybe four shifts and then I was out of the game. But <laughs> but. Uh, Kudrak was a big guy, but I, I was pretty technical. Uh, I knew what I was doing, and I handled him just fine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, that just kind of – I think Michelle Terrian liked that I could bring that to the table and could play at the same time. Uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't remember the fight all that well, but mm-hmm. I do remember winning that fight for sure. And uh, Scheffelmeyer, big guy, mm-hmm. eager. Um, he, it was kind of a wide open fight. I just connected more than he did. Uh, I, I, I remember putting him down as well. So again, two good fights helps build kind of your reputation within the organization. And and uh, obviously, there's scouts there as well, right? So everyone's yeah. watching you. So you you get a little bit more of uh, of a name. Uh, Kudrak listed at six seven two twenty five. Yeah, I remember that. He was a big, he was a monster. I remember that. So I thought he was, yeah, that's what I was kind of comparing him to Kugel, if you remember. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, geez, this guy's a monster. But uh, I went in, I think I got in tight and switched up and threw a bunch of lefts at him and caught him off guard. When uh, when you went to the Citadels camp, it might have been the year after when you weren't there, but did they, is that the camp they had like Joel Terrio and uh, Marset and DeBrusque and uh, those guys there, or was yes. that the following year? Yeah, they had those guys there. Those guys were animals. <laughs> <laughs> Morissette was, geez, he was, a, he was a, a freak of nature. I don't even know. We, we had to do a bench press test, 225 pounds as many times as we could, and I think he ripped off like 45 or something. It was insane. Wow. Um, he was built, you know, yeah. for the role. You yeah. know, he was he was definitely that. That was his job. Um, to, uh, the other guy, he was. Uh, we had what was the other guy's name? Jeez, Ramsey, I think. He was built. There, there was so many big guys in that camp. It was just kind of overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, when you returned to Peterborough, uh, your final year, you fought a lot less, and I would imagine that's part of. Your name, I'm sure, had gotten around. Guys weren't really looking to test you out. Plus, you're already established. You Maybe at this point you can pick and choose. 
But this was the year, the offensive breakout year, eight goals, eight assists, 16 points in 53 games. I guess at this point, four years in, um, everything kind of probably came together. You've been to two NHL camps, and I guess this was just the year where um, I don't want to say everything clicked, but it just had to be the most comfortable year that you had down in OHL, I would think. Yeah, I, you could say that. It was it was a tough transition because that whole ordeal with uh, getting sent down uh, or not signing with Montreal, that was kind of – that was hard to deal with because I thought I was ready to play in the AHL. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was an adjustment for my, my mental part of my game and, and trying to get back playing the right way. Um, definitely the game came a little bit easier, but I, I still had struggles. Um, I think I would have been better off playing with, you know, with uh, with older guys and, and that kind of teaching. Um, not saying that I didn't have a good year, but it wasn't as good as I thought I could have been that okay. that season. And the fighting, uh, to be honest with you, there was less guys um, that I had to really deal with. And I think there was a span of about six weeks where I fought the toughest guys in the league and, you know, I, I beat them pretty badly. So it was kind of that, that thing where my reputation now was like, okay, just leave Karkner alone. Like, don't, <laughs> don't test me. And, 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 you know, I was doing, I was doing a real good job because I, I was the older guy mm-hmm. and uh, the young guys were fighting the other young guys and they were trying to find their way. And, and for me, when I needed to do it, I did it. And, uh, and I wasn't looking for it again. I was trying to build on playing. I really thought, that being the best defenseman possible would really help me. So I focus more on playing and, and uh, my fighting would always be there. Right. So, so yeah, I scored some goals. I got whatever, eight assists. Uh, I, I definitely know that, you know, Eric Stahl was stealing my assists. He was going to the ref and stealing those points from me. I probably had 30 assists, but no. <laughs> at least, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, points are never part of my game. So so it was it was definitely good to be a part of that. And, and speaking of Eric Stahl, having him on the team, wow, uh, you knew this kid was going to be a player, and and it's pretty cool seeing that because it didn't happen often. I had Scott Barney, who was I thought a real elite guy uh, coming through. Steve Monador, I knew was very good. Foster, I knew he was really solid. He had that bomb on the power play. Um, so some of the guys that you see make it to the NHL, um, you can predict. Uh, and then there's this guy, Stahl, where, you know, you're not thinking, oh, maybe he'll make it. You're like, oh, this guy's going to be a stud. Yeah. So that was really cool to see. And I, I can't forget my buddy Jason Williams, who obviously won a, won a cup with Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was another undrafted guy, which I love seeing those stories because you can tell, like, when you're playing with these guys, you're like, like how is this guy not getting recognized? He does everything right. He's, he's fast. He's skilled. He's dynamic, got good vision. Um, they just kind of some certain players just get, uh, I guess, mixed and shuffle there and yeah. kind of get go unrecognized. So um, it was good to see those guys move on and make the NHL. So was there a bidding war for your services that ultimately ended with you signing with San Jose? Were there other teams interested? Uh, you know what? I think San Jose was probably uh, the first I heard of, of anything. And uh, Larry presented it to me. And because it was such a good offer compared to what Montreal did, I was like, Phew. it's like, yeah, like I'm, I'm signing with these guys right off the hop because, you know, I'm a 
small town boy from Winchester and all, all of a sudden I'm getting some, you know, some good money to go play the game I love. So um, for me at that point, you know, your ego takes a hit. You didn't sign with the team that drafted you. Maybe you're not as wanted as you think. Um, and when I got that offer from San Jose, I, I jumped on it and I, I had no second thought. How was that? Uh, how was that training camp with them? How did it differ from uh, the Montreal camps? A little different. There was less fighting. <laughs> there was definitely less fighting. And and I really liked, uh, and this is a tribute to, you know, uh, Doug Wilson and and, and uh, Timmy Burke and, and the staff at uh, with San Jose. Um, they they brought us in and did a really cool job with the, with the development camp. We did a development camp in the middle of summer for a couple weeks to introduce, you know, their systems and their philosophies and, and just to work on the fundamentals of the game, trying to improve their prospects. And then we had another one uh, at the start of camp um, before the NHL camp. And, and again, that was uh, very good to have to, to kind of get comfortable with everyone and comfortable with the system so that when you got into your main camp, it wasn't overwhelming and uh, you kind of fit right in. Um, I, I love the, I, it was a totally different atmosphere from Montreal to San Jose, mm-hmm. you know, seeing just even, you know, it's beautiful out there and yeah, the different vehicles and, and the guys were, were pretty chill or, you know, they go surfing in the afternoon and that kind of thing. And it, it was a good group of guys to kind of take me under their wing. Now, um, in the American League, talk about making a splash. So your first year pro Cleveland, 74 games, uh, 335 penalty minutes. Uh, tell me about playing for uh, Roy Summer and Nick Fatiu. Those are, uh, I think more people know Nick Fatiu's name, but when Roy played, he was a pretty tough player too. So uh, for someone like yourself who plays a tough game, I imagine having those guys as coaches, I would hope anyway, uh, guys who would appreciate your style. Uh, what was it like playing for those two guys? Yeah, that was uh, that was you know the uh, intro to to playing in the AHL, and again it was the same kind of steps uh, in the OHL. I was raw, you know. I was I knew what I was going to be doing. I knew I was going to be fighting some bigger, stronger guys now, and I had to be prepared. I think I I came into that camp. I was two hundred and fifty pounds. Wow, I was I was a monster, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and that hurt my skating obviously. Um, so I had to change that as it went on. But yeah, it was a uh, Roy and, and Nick, Nick was my D coach. So he let me know if, if I wasn't doing something, you know, if, if I was letting a guy off the hook or if I didn't finish a check, if I didn't box out, uh, he, he was on me, you know, and, and he made it hard on me. He wasn't very nice about it, which, you know, at times I was like, really Nick? Like <laughs> he, I come off, he's like, you're not strong enough. He's like, you're never going to play in the NHL. You're not strong enough. I'm like, Nicky, I'm the strongest guy in this, if not on the, on this team, in this league, like, come on, give me a break. But then he'd get me to the gym and he'd, he'd uh, put 225 pounds on a bar and, and do wrist curls with it. Wow. He's like, you're not strong enough. You got to do this. So I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like, okay. So I started trying to do that. You know, he was, he was trying to help me, but he would, he would jab me and, and uh, you know, not poke fun of me. He was right. legit like, pissed because he wanted me to, he's like, if, if I was your size, I'd be, fighting everybody mm-hmm. and uh you know that obviously stuck on my head and when i felt uh, the opportunity uh needed to be done in a game i'd do it and uh 
I don't think he really, Nick really respected me, you know, because Nick was a freaking tough guy. Like, yeah. holy, like that's a guy you're trying to impress. Like, he's not going to be impressed by me fighting middleweights, like, you know, and, and uh, doing well against them. So I think it was later in the year I fought Mel Angelstad, mm-hmm. and uh, we're in we're in Lowell, and uh, I did very well. I, I fought him, and, and I, you know, I won the fight, and, and after that game, Nick came up. He's like, that guy is a tough guy. It's like, now I know you can do it. I'm like, oh, you know, and that's kind of, that was kind of a great feeling to hear from Nicky because, you know, you, uh, you're waiting to hear, hear that you're doing something right. And, and uh, when he gave that to me, I was like, yes, okay, good. I'm, I'm on the right track. So, so that was good from Nicky. And, and Roy was just, you know, Roy's a character. He was, uh, he was a good coach. He, he, he kept things light and, and, uh, and really they did a good job with development that that's all they did was, was work on development. We did extra before practice, after practice. Um, not a ton of video back then, obviously once in a while, I think after we lost a, a bad game, we'd sit and watch the game, you know, together and just, he'd poke fun at guys and, and, uh, show them how bad we were and, <laughs> You know, we deserve, like we were a bad, we were a bad team. We were very young in Cleveland uh, my first year. Uh, didn't win many games. But, uh, yeah, that, that part of the game, the fighting was was definitely, you know, I I did, again, I did pretty well in most of them. I don't remember too many bad fights I had that year, and there were a lot of them. Uh, well, there were 19 of them. I'm going to run off some names uh, because it's a pretty impressive fight card you had here. Uh, Jody Shelley four times. Oh yeah, Jody. Uh, uh, Peter Vandermeer twice, Jared Burnett twice, Andrew Peters twice. Uh you talked about the Mangler Mel Anglestad, uh Steve Parsons, Sean Legault, Ty Jones, Lance Galbraith. So, uh you definitely didn't pick your spots. Uh any of those names, any of those fights ring a bell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they all kind of do. They, you know, <laughs> flashes. It's it's more like PTSD, you know. It's like <laughs> all these punches coming at my head but no it's uh it, you know and again like I, I we talk about fighting and stuff and for me I was I was trying to play the game and add that to my game I I, I played it a lot like I was on the ice a lot and having to fight these guys was was something Jody Shelley I remember going up against him and being you know that was a, a tough contest um, that was my intro to you know fighting the heavier uh, heavier weights on in the league uh, and I did well against Jody. We, we kind of gave it to each other a couple of times and, and, uh, it was good. And then he ended up having a great career yep. in Columbus. So, um, yeah, I definitely remember those guys are, they're all, they're all respected, uh, respected guys in the league. That's for sure. Uh, a couple of guys you played with on that team. Uh, wonder if you have any memories of playing with them. Uh, Eric LaPlante. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to go on about Eric? Sure. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Eric was, uh, man, he, if he could have got his head on straight, he mm-hmm. could have been one hell of a player. Yeah. Um, you know, he, yeah, French Canadian kid. Um, and, uh, just kind of, he had all the tools. He just, he just couldn't do the right thing. You know, he'd show up late for, for games. Uh, you know, he'd have, he'd, he'd stay out all night and, and miss a morning skate, like stuff like that would happen all the time with him. And I, I really did try to take him under my wing a little bit. 
and guide them and, and just say plotter because he, he wanted the instant gratification, you know, of mm-hmm. being rewarded with time up in the NHL. Yeah. And he felt like he was <clears throat> not respected because he wasn't getting it. So when something went wrong, he would he would go the wrong way, you know, he'd go down the wrong path. Um, so I did spend a lot of time with Eric and, and, you know, it, he, he was, he was his own person and, uh, tough kid. He was actually sneaky, tough, mm-hmm. but, but the other part of it is he could skate, he could fly, he could, he could score, he could produce. And, uh, I guarantee if he, he could have straightened his act out, he could have made some time in the NHL. I don't think he'd be a full-time NHLer, mm-hmm. but, uh, he definitely could have had, had a cup of coffee. Um, I did re- read the story about him, which yeah. sucks, um, mm-hmm. later on in life. Yeah. Um, about, you know, he, we are in Cleveland and, uh, he, he, he moved into an apartment and got with some decent guys and, and was set up half decently and was on the right track, had a really good season. And then at the end of the year, he destroyed the apartment and, uh, never paid for anything. Mm-hmm. So then he went back the following year to try to rent at that same apartment. This is the kind of brain he had, you know, like yeah. plotter, like you're there. You didn't pay anything, all your damages. You think they're going to rent to you. Right. So that year he ended up just moving into, uh, into uh, East Cleveland, which is not a good part of town mm. with a bunch of locals, not hockey guys. Right. And that's where the path kind of went the wrong way. Oh, okay. Um, so Yeah. I read that the, he was in a drug deal that went bad. Someone yeah. ended up getting shot. And uh, I don't know if he's out of prison yet or not, but sad, sad story. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we could have did more to, to kind of help him get in the right direction, but um, we definitely tried. We tried. Uh, we, we kept him tight to us on the road with, uh, you know, team events. We, we tried to keep him as tight as we could, but, you know, it's uh, each person's decision ultimately and what to do. And um, yeah, maybe it could have been, I don't know, maybe more attention could have been brought to him and maybe it would have been different. But, mm-hmm. yeah, very sad story. Uh, another guy that you played with, another OHL grad and uh, former Islander, uh, Rob Davison. What are your memories of playing with yeah, Rob? <laughs> Davey, he's a beauty. He was at my wedding. He's a, he's a good guy. Um, I remember Rob Davison from North Bay being a big, heavy lefty fighter. I never fought him before. Um, I think I was fighting Cirillo in, in North Bay for some reason. Um, never got to fight Davey. Um, but he, as a teammate, what a great guy. Yeah, he was there a year before me. kind of uh, took me under his wing. Um, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time off ice together. Uh, got to know his, his now wife uh, pretty well. And, uh, yeah, he, he just played a hard edgy game wasn't afraid of anybody kept the game real simple but uh what a character he he used to like to he used to buy um the huge not not just pints but like the uh ice cream store size gallons of ice cream and put them in his freezer and he he used to polish those off you know every uh every couple weeks he'd have to go get a new one he was eating ice cream every (laughs) night until finally he realized geez i'm i can't lose all this weight i'm like, I'm like Dave, <laughs> you're, you're eating way too much ice cream buddy it's you know some guys it's the booze but him it was ice cream um, <laughs> him and me so, both yeah exactly so <laughs> he had that that kind of uh uh care and and uh he had w- weird quirks I, I know when he made the nhl so 
Um, I'm not going to get into it now, but yep. so my career kind of, I, I had an unfortunate event happen and he ended up going up to the NHL and his, his first game, he was on the blue line and uh, getting ready for the start of the game. He got so nervous. He threw up on the ice oh. and, uh, <laughs> and he played a great game. Mm. So he had a good game. He threw up, you know, before the game. So that became his new ritual. Before every game, he had to go in the stall, and he was forcing himself to throw up before the game. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> <laughs> he's quite the cat. Um, I remember when I got called up, and I was in the bathroom, and I heard him, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he had a good career, and he's he's uh, still in the game, and an unfortunate uh that what happened to him in Toronto there I heard yeah. about um on that and I actually I, I had his number and I lost it and I've been meaning to get in touch with him so Davey if you have my number give me a call <laughs> as you enter your second season with the Sharks organization your second training camp uh now unlike the Montreal camps where you were still uh raw you were a rookie you had firmly established yourself in the American League as not only one of the tougher guys, but as one of the better stay-at-home defensemen. So going into that second camp with San Jose, did you feel like maybe you had an opportunity or did they give you the opportunity to show everything you had and maybe make the team? Yeah, I believe they did. They gave me, uh, you know, first of all, my development, my growth was was pretty substantial from year one to year two. Mm-hmm. Um for me, I just gained a little bit more confidence through the summer um, and in my ability. And I believe that, you know, I would, I could fit in, you know, I could play with those NHL guys. Now, was I, was I an impact at that point? Probably not. Um, and that was the next step I needed to take. I needed to be an impact in the game. Um, but uh, that being said, I had a great camp. And again, I, I told you, I'm, I was always top of my game with the fitness and all that kind of stuff. So I, uh, I did very well with all my, my fitness testing and, and, uh, on ice, you know, I did my job. I was a big, uh, steady defensive defenseman who knew, uh, when to step up for his teammates and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, camp went well. Uh, you know, I got, I got a couple opportunities to play some games and, uh, I was a late, late, uh, cut from the team, um, and uh, trying to remember uh, who came in that year. But, you know, it seemed like every year I'd take a step and and uh, I was just, you know, on the outside looking in at the end of it and uh, just couldn't cut the lineup, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, um, yeah again, disappointing not making it, but, again, excited for another step uh, to take with, with the AHL team and the Cleveland Barons. Um, but, uh, yeah, disappointing, obviously. I, I was really hoping to get uh, to take the next step. I know that uh, I at least uh, in one of the exhibition games against L.A., you got into a scrap with Brad Norton, uh, a, a guy similar to you, I would think, you know, uh, a fringe guy at that point trying to make an impression with his team. Do you remember that fight? I do remember that. He was a pretty big guy, and uh, actually he was a pretty tough customer. He, yeah. uh, I don't, like, remember him uh, – a lot because I don't think I played him ever again after that. Right. Uh, but I do remember that fight because uh, it was a good fight. Uh, I don't think, you know, I just think it was a, a solid fight by both guys. Mm-hmm. Um, no one got hurt, but you know, it was uh, 
for me to to do that at that point was uh, definitely definitely helped my chances. That's for sure. Now, unfortunately, like you said, after camp, you didn't make the team and you head back down to Cleveland. Um, season was cut short, unfortunately, by a knee injury. Uh, before the injury, though, you ended up playing 39 games. You were fourth on the team in penalty minutes. Uh, one player I want to ask you about that was a new teammate this year was uh, Yuri Machevsky. Uh, big dude. And uh, what was it like playing with Yuri? Yuri was, yeah, he was kind of a, he was a quiet kid. But, yeah, he, he knew his role. He knew his job. Um, you know, played a simple game and obviously was uh, looking to be the enforcer on the team. So you say, you know, I was fourth in, in penalty minutes uh, at that point, 39 games. I was playing a lot more. I, I was being used a lot more in different ways. And, uh, you know, I was kind of given the talk like, yeah, fight carts, but, you know, we need you on the ice too. So uh, I, I was kind of transitioning a little bit away from, uh, you know, 355 penalty minute season, which, you know, I was off pace for that for sure. But, uh, but I was also playing, uh, playing pretty well at the time, but Yuri was definitely good to have in your lineup, right? I had Yuri Mishevsky, uh and we had uh, uh, Eric Laplan who would fight kind of the middleweight guys and, and uh, then obviously me. So we had some toughness in the lineup and, and it definitely helps, especially, oh, and sorry, Rob Davison. Yeah. was there as well right so so we had we we were well taken care of and, and uh and to have those guys is definitely i i respect it and i know that you know our, our more skilled guys felt protected out there and there were a couple of other uh additions and they may have come in after your injury uh was keith mccambridge and uh, john jacopin did they did you get to play with those guys or did they come in after you were hurt jacko was uh i remember jacopin he, he was I think he was up. He was like an extra mm-hmm. uh, in, in the NHL for a bit. Then he was sent down. He was hurt. He had a bat. He was like injured his neck or something like that. And he just couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. It was like almost the entire season. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, Jacko was a big, again, he had a little bit of a reputation at that point, played in the NHL for a little while. Um, but, uh, you know, that was kind of, I don't know how he did after that season. I, I I don't think he's ever gotten to where he needed to be, but he he was dealing with a bad injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Keith Keith came in after I was injured. Yes, yeah. he was kind of picked up because they lost me. The steady Eddie Demon, you know, he coached uh, Hartford Wolfpack uh, yeah. for a few years, so I got to run into him again. And again, we didn't really spend a lot of time together, but he always I always respected him, and he was he was a nice guy. And, you know, and, and was trying to deal with this team that we, we didn't really do very well that year again. So um, kind of a tough, tough season for us, for sure. But we were kind of riddled with injuries and inconsistent play and guys going up and down. And um, so that year, my injury, uh, the funny thing was, that, you know, my dream is to make the NHL. And, and uh, what happened was, uh, um, uh about two, I think it was two or three days before uh, game where it happened, my coach Roy Sommer brought me in and said, uh, he's like, you're, you're getting a lot of buzz from up top there. You know, you're, you're, I was doing really well in my fights and I was playing really well, consistent. I was making the right steps for what they needed. And he's like, you just keep playing this way and you're getting a call any minute. So just be prepared. I just want to let you know, you know, it's exciting time for you. 
And then three days later, I blow my knee out with an ACL, MCL cartilage. Um, just on a fluke play, I was clearing a puck on a penalty kill. My skate got caught in a rut, and uh, I was rotating. And then I, I took a little – it was a little bump. It wasn't really much of a hit, but the weight, my weight just kind of rotated my knee right around. And, mm. and uh, you know, I was injured right away. I actually tried to get up and fight the guy, but I got up and I fell down. And <laughs> it was uh, – it was not fun. I tried to walk it off in between, but, you know, in, in your head, you're like, oh, this is not good. This isn't just a, a sprain or something. Um, so so that gave Rob Davidson and uh, and uh, Jesse Fibiger the opportunity because what happened was after my injury, uh, I think one of their D in San Jose got hurt, and they traded two defensemen away oh. and brought up uh, Rob Davidson and Jesse Fibiger. So um, it, was, it was a tough point in my career one where I'd never been injured before you know I was kind of I had little nagging things that would happen you know it was shoulder separation or something but nothing major and uh, I was pretty devastated after that um, you know and saw my opportunity right in front of me and and then uh, it to be just taken away like that was pretty tough to to overcome um, obviously it was a long process so that's what I was going to ask you. I think a lot of times for fans, um, athletes become names in the paper or people we see on the highlights, but the reality is you guys are human beings. And so, and I think especially nowadays where fantasy sports are so big, well, you're a name on the fantasy sports. Well, he's hurt. I'm just going to pick up another guy, but you know, you athletes are, are players with families and stuff. And like you said, even if you, even if you weren't, on the cusp of being recalled just to have an injury like that. Um, it, I can't imagine how it was psychologically. You had to go through a, a rough period there, I would think. And then uh, at a certain point, I guess you just kind of pick yourself up and, and get back to the grind. Is that it? And rehab? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, just the pretty much being told, you know, like if, if this was a few, you know, five, six years ago, this would be a career ending injury. I was like, Oh boy, that's not good. Yeah. And, uh, and so the good thing was, uh, I got, I got the swelling down, got my surgery. And then once, you know, once the surgery happened and they took me through the rehab, I just, it's a new focus, right? You just reset your focus. You kind of deal with the disappointment and, uh, the actual injury itself. It, sucks there was nothing worse than watching my teammates you know play on the ice while I'm sitting in the stands but uh you know I I stayed involved I went to the gym I was you know young and I was trying to find any way to get an edge so I'd sit in the meetings and you know uh, I had my one leg wrapped up and I was trying to do uh, uh squats with my other leg because I heard there's sometimes there's a transfer and in power from one leg to the other. If you, if you train one leg, that's good. So I was doing all kinds of crazy stuff, just trying to stay in shape and, and make it as quick as possible. I, I, I was hoping to have a real quick recovery, um, which didn't happen probably because I was trying to push a little too hard. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely just something you gotta, you gotta change your focus and, and set a new goal. And my goal was just to get back to where I was before, which, Took, it took some time because after that year, uh, I'm sure you know, uh, the, the following season, um, uh, all the rules changed. So I had to not only recover, but I had to change my game. I was going to ask you about that. Um, 
well, let's stick with, I just want to know a few other things about the injury first, but yeah, definitely about the game changing. So now you, you're doing all this rehab and I know that, you know, you, you, you love working out or if you don't love it, you, you certainly do it and you're getting on the ice and you're skating, but psychologically, how was it going into the, into camp that following year and playing in an actual game? Like, are, is there any hesitancy? Do you want to get that first hit out of the way? Do you want to get that first fight out of the way? Even, you know, going into the corner, you're doing a lot of lateral movement and, and turning as a defenseman. Uh, what's the mindset going into your first game and training in uh, the exhibition the following season? Yeah, it, uh, there, there's definitely hesitance and, you know, you're wearing, you're throwing a knee brace on every day. So it, it's in your head. Um, I tried to forget about it, but you just, you just felt it, you know, it just wasn't the same. Didn't have the explosive power that I used to have. And, and uh, I wasn't a hundred percent. And they say usually, you know, it's, it's six months to recover, but then it's probably a year till you're back in, in form. So for me, I was, uh, you know, I was just trying to get through it. I was trying to do the best I could. And, uh, you don't think about it, but looking back, I know I wasn't, I wasn't back to where I needed to be. So again, it's another step back, right? I had to take, there's bumps in the road and on your career and on your path. And, and for me, it was, I was just trying to play without that hesitancy and, uh, and just react, you know, to the game as it came to me and not think I tried, you, you almost have to think to not think about your injury, which is, you know, kind of hard to do, but, uh, but as as the season went on, and it became less and less of a of an issue, and it just became me trying to get back into that shape I was in before and improve on my skating again. So, how did the rule the rule changes everything affect you? Uh, I was not a fan of them. I'm sure you were not a fan of them. But uh, as a physical defenseman, now now what adjustments do you have to make on top of coming back from a knee injury? Well, it's, it's just your habits, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, how us big defensemen played back in the day, we could get away with murder, yeah. um, you know, just the abuse we could dish out in front of our net. Um, even, you know, they dump a puck in, you've got a lot of time to, to punish the guy who dumped the puck and yeah. you can hold on to him. You can clutch and grab and you're, you're there to protect your defensive partner so that no one can come in and run them. You know, that was our job. Once that puck left on a four check, you know, that, they're looking to go and run, run your defensive partner. So I would hold up and, and clutch and grab and make sure that they, they couldn't get near them. But now um, it felt like you're just given free reign for them to, to go dish out punishment on your D man. So it was definitely an adjustment period uh, physically because you had to learn how to skate and kind of use a running screen to give your D man more time. Uh, you had to get up the ice to gap up a little better. Um, you know, it's just more footwork involved and, and, and with accelerating up the ice, changing of direction, uh, accelerating back, open pivot uh, to pucks. Um, so the technique was definitely an adjustment. And I think it was good for me personally. I became a better player. Um, I know that some guys like Hatcher, uh, Ian McLaren, like big, strong defensemen, they had a real hard time and they were already a little late in their career. So it was yeah. tough to adjust. So they fizzled out. Um, pretty quickly, which is shocking because they were like, you know, top NHL defensemen. Yeah. So to see that change was, was pretty drastic, but for me, I was kind of, it was early enough in my career where I I was able to, to adjust and and change and, and uh, you know, it gave those, you know, uh, smaller, faster D men with, you know, maybe a little bit more skill than, than what I was accustomed to, you know, as, (laughs) 
uh, you know, to, to kind of uh, shine a little bit more. So, so I, I don't think, uh, you know, looking back, uh, maybe ideally it stayed the same way. I probably would have been up a little quicker, but for me, I just had to adapt and change with the, with the league. And as it came, you were still able to uh, find a few scraps that year. Uh, one I wanted to ask you about was the slugfest you had with Brandon Sugden. Do you remember that one? Yeah, uh, I remember Sugden from the OHL and, and you know, the, kind of the stories about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, big physical guy in the OHL, he used to have, I think his jersey was cut up. And so as soon as you grabbed it, it would fly off him. And uh, he used that as an advantage in the O. So, you know, I, di- I knew he was a tough kid. I knew he was a tough customer. Um, I was a little more mature at that time, and I, I figured I could handle him. Mm-hmm. And, again, like just like I said before, it was kind of more of a fear factor thing to face these guys and just to face the unknown and, and see what he was all about. But, yeah, he was a tough cookie. And I think uh, I thought we fought a couple times. Um, maybe the one didn't register because he kind of jumped me at the end of a game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I handle myself pretty well at that because when I fight angry, I'm probably a little bit better than when it's kind of, you know, pre-planned. But mm-hmm. um, he was a pretty technical guy, too. Uh, so it was a good fight back and forth. Um, I'd like to. I, I won that fight. Um, mm-hmm. I'd have to see the video again, but mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a tough customer and uh, got a lot of respect for, for him. And uh, also that season was uh, you had in your career – two two fight games against uh radis evenons and uh it was with uh, milwaukee at the time uh this is the first two fight game you had against him uh you remember that those fights or the game yeah uh evenons i saw a big you know big big man out on the ice and uh i wasn't sure about him you know i i, I i'm trying to think video probably wasn't overly uh used at that time i didn't you know i asked around to the guys in in the league and whatnot to to see what he was about and Mm -hmm. they they just said big strong kid who can you know he can throw him pretty well but me um what i did with him was uh you know we were i think i i usually would would try to run him i get him i'd hit him and then you know just get right into it you know not not a staged fight or anything we get right into the fight Mm -hmm. And I thought I got the advantage that way because, um, you know, he didn't get a great chance to get a good grip on me. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd switch to lefty right away. Uh, so I'd throw a couple of real tight lefts. And then once he grabbed that left, I'd just stretch him out. And, and I did pretty – I did very well against him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think – well, those two fights for sure. Yeah. It was like the first few fights were really good against him. And then uh, – at the end of the year or maybe the following year, I remember grabbing him and he just felt, you know, it felt like he was doing something, if you know what I'm saying. I do. It was a different man. Yeah, it was a totally different man. I grabbed him and it was just like I grabbed a brick wall. And <laughs> I was like, wow, like this is different. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I, I tried to do the same kind of technique. I think he caught me with one, mm-hmm. uh, kind of stunned me at, you know, put me down a little bit. I didn't go all the way down, but I popped back up and finished the fight with him. Yeah. But uh, I definitely saw a change through through his uh, uh, 
development. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was the following season where you had another two fight game against him. So Yeah, that's right. So so I did very well against him the first three. The last one, um, he did catch me with one, but I just I did feel a change, which usually doesn't affect like I've seen it throughout the years. Guys do what they need to do to get an edge. Mm-hmm. And uh I never really had a hard time uh dealing with you know more strength or anything because I was pretty technical. Yeah. Um, that one I felt I was like, "Ooh, this is a <laughs> this is a big change." <laughs> and uh, so you roll into the playoffs, and uh, I know. Well, I guess lately sometimes there's scraps in the playoffs. Even in the AHL at the time, there was still some fighting in the playoffs. And you had a, a two fight game against Hamilton where you fought JP Cote and your old training camp buddy Gordy Dwyer. Do you remember those? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do remember those. Gordy, I don't know if you can call it much of a fight. I forget what happened there. He he ended up on his uh, – he was in a turtle position at the end, and I I was very angry. I forget what uh, – that might have been the uh, the uh, uh, Garrett Stafford game with Paris Hogan. I don't know if you remember that incident. I don't. Well, okay, Garrett Stafford <clears throat> at the end of one game uh, – came around the net and was trying to defend and maybe nicked Paris Hogan's helmet uh, with his stick. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was uh, Stafford fell down in front of our net and Paris Hogan tomahawk chopped Stafford right in the head. Wow. Um, and he was convulsing on the ice. Oh, and if God. you look up the stats, Paris Hogan was suspended for a year. Um, he left, he left and I think he played overseas for a year. Um, but it was, it was awful. Stafford was convulsing on the ice and it was a scary incident. I jumped the bench, but it was playoffs. So I forget who grabbed me. Someone grabbed me by the collar and said, Hey, we're going to lose you for next game. It's like, get him later. So that's what happened. We got him later. You know, I, yeah. (laughs) Cote, obviously Cote and Dwyer aren't guys who are looking to fight me at just the heat of playoffs. But, uh, I like Dwyer. I never had a hard time with him, but he played the game hard. And, yeah. and I was playing the game hard. We're trying to get an advantage. And he was on the ice and, and he was turtling and he exposed his ribs. And I remember just throwing hard left hooks into his ribs. Um, you know, I was angry and, yeah. and trying to get an advantage, trying to do some damage because uh, he was an effective player yeah. at that at that time. So kind of a dirty move on me, but I don't like when guys turtle. Yeah, no, uh, nothing but respect from Gordy on this end. Uh, I've known him a very long time. I, I'm a big fan of his. And, yeah. Sorry, and, you know, Gordy. No. <laughs> I didn't really hurt you, Gordy. I know. <laughs> that was a bad move on me, but I was angry at Paris Hogan. So yeah, no. I'm sure he probably went and said, what the fuck? No, I just got bruised ribs because of you. Exactly. He's probably pretty upset with me. But uh, <laughs> uh, good good dude. Both those guys, good good players, good dudes. So, so uh, to, to further – I guess, emphasize the frustration. So you come back from that injury and, you know, you get get back into the swing of things. You have a really productive year. And now the following year could be the year where you go up and you make an impression with the Sharks and stick. But now there's the NHL lockout. So how frustrating was that? <laughs> yeah. It, it just seemed to be one thing after the other, you know, and, and uh, just – you know, waiting and waiting and waiting for your opportunity. And, and then, you know, and what happens is new prospects come in. Now I'm past the three-year point and you start to be looked at as something different. And, and uh, you know, and I'm still still not where I need to be. It's it's a lot of it is on me. And I didn't, I didn't uh, develop 
from that injury as, as well as I'd like. Maybe I felt a little bad for myself, a little sorry for myself. You got to get over that stuff. And for me, it took a little bit more time. And, and again, I'm still adjusting to the new rules, skating, all of that. But, you know, we get different, we get different recruits in and, and uh, different competition, right? So it's, it's one of those things where uh, I didn't seize my opportunity in my first three years. And now I'm becoming kind of a, a stable guy for the HL. And I, I wanted to get out of that kind of funk, but it, it, it was a tough I was up there till the end of camp. I was one of the last cuts and, and they're always, they just kept reassuring me. I'm going to get my chance. So, so that's, that's the way it kind of rolled. Um, for a kid, you know, like we, we discussed earlier, a kid from Ontario to be named captain of Peterborough, that's a big deal. And now this is the year you're also named captain of Cleveland, which is a running theme in your career. You're generally, uh, uh, you're not in a place very long before they throw a letter on your chest, and I think that is uh, a tribute to the leadership and the intangibles that you bring. Um, is it something that's a big deal for you personally to wear a letter, especially a C, at any level? Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, I, I was pretty young at the time still, right? So to to be coming in and wearing a C at that young age, I know we had a young team, um, uh, and, uh, you know, it was definitely it was a proud moment for me, but... Uh, that being said, I, I wish, you know, I was a little bit more uh, prepared for it um, as a captain. It's just all the little things that I, I really didn't pay attention to what the other captains were doing um, that maybe could have helped us a little bit more. But again, we had a better season. Um, I don't know if that's to do with our our, our players or, or whatnot, but uh uh, we're, we're starting to improve, starting to get a little bit better. But again, our team was never built for the now. It was built for development mm-hmm. at that age. Uh, all through my five years with Cleveland, it, it really wasn't built to, to win. Um, but we had a ton of good prospects, you know, like Ryan Clove, Marcel Gotch, uh, Riss Miller. We had Erhoff. Um, you know, we had Doug Murray, like there's a, you can go down the list. There's a lot of guys who spent a lot of time, Josh Georges, right. Um, a lot of guys who, who spent a lot of time in the NHL. Um, so it was a good model for, for them. But for me, uh, again, going back to the captains, it's, I was kind of among all players, my same age and, and it worked out very well. And, and, uh, I definitely had a blast with it. Tight, tight knit group for sure. Well, because of the lockout, uh, anybody that was eligible to go down to the American was sent down by the NHL teams. Was the uptick in, in talent noticeable from the season before? Yeah. Yeah, it was for sure. Um, it was, uh, you know, that year where, where guys were staying in shape and the big NHL guys, obviously they, they went overseas and stuff, but a lot of those other talented players that would be up uh, otherwise were, were playing in the AHL. So Definitely an uptick and and tougher to get wins, that's for sure, but um, just just part of the process. Uh, one guy that you fought that year, and I guess at this point in his career, he was just a baby dinosaur, and that's uh, the boogeyman, Derek Bugard. Uh, do you remember your fight with Boogie? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, obviously, uh, kind of a scary man, right? Like yeah. a huge human being, uh, and... Uh, yeah, he, he I, I don't even remember how that fight happened. I think, you know, he was playing physical and I was playing physical and then we we met up and, and uh, 
I again, I think he was in his early years and not really sure what to do. I ended up throwing a bunch of laughs. I caught him off guard. He went down. Uh, you know, pretty good feeling for me to take down a big guy like that. Um, and uh, but you know, I, we didn't play them often, which was probably fortunate for me and <laughs> my brain. But um, he, uh, I think John Scott was on that team as well, playing as yeah. a defenseman. But he was really not even in the picture for that kind of stuff yet. Right. Um, but yeah, I was I was getting him at a young age, and and uh, fortunately that went well for me. Uh, so we go to the following year. A uh, couple of guys I want to ask you about, if you remember uh, remember them as teammates. One of them is uh, Brad Staubitz. Oh yeah, Stauber. Yeah, how can I forget him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's a great guy. Uh, uh, <laughs> and he wasn't really doing what he did when he got his NHL opportunity. You know, he wasn't fighting that much. He just played a hard, edgy game. Um, and uh, once in a while, it would come in. Uh, definitely not doing that UFC stuff. The uh, the the elbows that he got <laughs> for. You know, he was a, a great guy, good teammate, um, one of the, you know, one of the young and up and comers and and uh, just played a hard, edgy game. Uh, and another guy who I uh, just had his brother on the show recently, and I had no idea about uh, his backstory uh, is Glenn Olson. Uh, do you remember playing with Glenn? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big Glenn Olson. He was actually he was a real tough kid. Yeah. Man. And and uh, I don't know if you heard the story of his unfortunate incident. Um, up in i think it was in alaska or somewhere around there maybe bc but he was in a plane crash and uh he i think him and maybe one other guy were the only survivors yeah Uh, but a tough tough kid uh you know quiet but uh, him and stauber hung out quite a bit together maybe a little bit too much if you know what i mean on the road and Mm -hmm. and, uh, (laughs) got into some some trouble here and there which you know it happens in hockey um, but they definitely uh, were there to, to uh, you know, make everyone feel safe. They, they did their job very well. Yeah, I wasn't aware of the uh, the plane crash until I spoke to Ben. And uh, I, I didn't know much about Glenn. I'd seen him on some fight DVDs and, and things like that, but not much about uh, his uh, history or backstory or anything. And uh, then when I was interviewing his bro- when I was interviewing uh, Ben, he told me the whole story and I was just I was just dumbfounded because whenever I didn't expect something like that to come up in an interview, but I had no idea, but fortunately he did survive. Uh, you know, unfortunately other people had passed away, but I'm glad uh, that Glenn made it. Yeah. Yeah. He made it. And, uh, from what I, I they told me, he's like, he just kind of came to, he noticed his legs were on fire. He batted them off and went on his way. That's, and, uh, it's, that's a crazy story. And I think he's, uh, well, a long time ago, I know he was doing a, a fishing uh, business out there in BC, and yep. fishing and all that. And I think he's doing pretty well at it. He he was always kind of the the outdoorsy type, so uh, not a not a bad business to get into for sure. Yeah, no, the business still going, family business. Uh, so yeah, he's still up and at it. And uh, and Ben posts some stuff on social media. I, he posted a couple of weeks ago this picture with, I mean, I think there were more fish in the picture than people. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah. so they're yeah. doing well. So that's great. That's good. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, another guy that you fought, uh, this, this season, uh, a guy you had fought in the past and actually someone that's, uh, that's been in the news recently, uh, Rocky Thompson. Uh, you remember yeah. your battles with Rocky? Yeah. Rocky. I, I knew he was just a good, uh, you know, obviously has a great reputation. Um, I, I remember going into Hershey when I was young, it was him and Brent Thompson, who's my coach now. And those yeah. guys were the, the scary people. And, and, uh, you know, I was a young, young buck and 
I don't actually think I fought that game because I challenged Brent Thompson and he came in and cross checked me eight times in my arm until it was numb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's like, beat it, kid. And, and uh, so I never got a chance that time. But I guess uh, Rocky, uh, that was later on, and and uh, just a scrum in front of the net, and and he he got the upper hand right away. He came throwing and. Uh, I remember gathering myself and I, I, you know, I was throwing a lot of punches, but him having his boxing background, he was yeah. ducking and diving. And you know, I, I was definitely bigger, stronger uh, than him at that time. And, and, but he did a real good job uh, avoiding any, any damage and uh, just a good fight. Really. I think, I don't think uh, you'd say a winner or loser on that one. Uh, you fought this season, you fought a guy twice that would uh, later become a teammate. And I don't think you can talk about this guy without using at least the word character. Uh, what do you remember about your two fights with Jeremy Yablonski? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, <laughs> I remember just, I remember the, you know, it was kind of everyone talked about this guy. Um, he was in Milwaukee at the time. Uh, just real heavy fisted, you know, just a, a freak of a human being. And, uh, yeah, when I, when I, at that time, you know, I was, I was already on my way. It was my fifth year in the league and I've done a lot of that. So, so having this guy, uh, come out and, and running around and he, he could definitely, if he was in a straight line, he wanted to get out of the way. That's for sure. Cause yeah. he could do some damage on his hits. Um, I don't know if Glenn was playing that game. Uh, cause I know Ols would, he, he liked to challenge the big heavyweights as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was my, again, another one of those things where I got to settle this guy down quick. He's looking to fight. He wants to fight somebody. So mm-hmm. here we go. Let's, uh, let's go test out Yabo. And I, I threw fast and furious. Uh, and I remember how the hell is this guy not going down? I've just punched him in the head, like, you know, 15 times and there's nothing. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> didn't really move you know uh but uh he was a you know you know yabo he can yeah. take punishment he can dish it out he has good fights so for me um i was you know i was just trying to do my thing i when i fought i fought to win i fought to you know put the guy down quick um and uh you know i i again i i think i did pretty well against yabo and whenever i play with yabo later on he's like oh Karks, he's like it's like, holy shit. He's like, uh, when I fought you, I never knew. And then when I grabbed you, I couldn't believe how strong you were. I'm like, I'm like really? Okay. Because I can think the same damn thing, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, he's, he was just a character guy. And, and, uh, and, man, it was good to be his teammate and not have to deal with him anymore. I would say so. And, by the way, excellent Yabo. Uh, you know, the, you do spot on Don Cherry. Now you do an excellent Yabo. You... I, I can do anyone, okay? I just... <laughs> Don't want to do anyone that'll get me in trouble. You know no, <laughs> no. Let's let's keep it to the to the friendly voices. But that was yeah. uh, that was tremendous, tremendous yeah. Jabo impression. Well, I know I know that I I spent a lot of time. We were roommates on the road, so it was a, a good time. Good couple years with Jabo for sure. Uh, early February. How did you find out that you were finally getting the call up to the Sharks? Oh, geez. Uh, I remember Roy just pulling me aside and saying, Karks, he's like, you've been, you know, you've been a horse for us this year. You've been playing great. You know, that year I kind of exploded out of nowhere, really. And I, I think it's because everything kind of came together. My knee was finally good. I took my knee brace and I threw it in the garbage that summer. I'm like, this is, I felt like I wasn't getting better with that stupid knee brace on, which I was told to wear the rest of my career. Mm-hmm. So I, I just did 
my gut thing and I threw it away and I, I think it really helped me to, to take the next step. So uh, my development took off that year and, and Roy just said, Karks, he's like, they already have uh, 7D up there, but they want to call you up to give you your shot. And I'm like, awesome. He's like, you may be playing as a 7D, you know, which sucks, but just, just take the opportunity and run with it. And for me, it was kind of, you know, just all that hard work paying off. Um, obviously, you know, if it happened early in my career, maybe it would feel a little uh, less gratifying. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But for me, it was just kind of surreal. You know, I, I felt like uh, I didn't feel like I, you know, I, I was actually, it was happening for me. I just felt like I was kind of, I want a contest to go hang out with the San Jose Sharks, <laughs> you know. So, so when I got there, uh, you know, I got a day or two of practice and, and then into a game. Um, and, uh, I'm forgetting who the, uh, who it was, uh, geez, uh, Simon. Yeah. Chris Simon, what we were playing against, uh, and I wanted to, I challenged him to go, uh, in that game. Uh, and he's at not this shift. And then the next shift, uh, Nabby came out from behind the net and dished a puck right on Simon's tape and he scored on the empty net. I was on the ice oh. and I was like, what the hell? And then, so after that, I went up to him, Simon's like, I, and I, I, I played him physical and was, was trying to fight with him and stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wasn't, I guess I should have probably ran one of their skilled guys. And, and, but again, I think I played like seven minutes that game. So I had to make it happen and it never really happened. And after he scored, he's like, I don't fight when I score. I'm like, Oh, Okay. <laughs> okay, whatever. So I think I blew an opportunity there, which, uh, you know, I should have made that happen. And, and maybe that would have helped me uh, solidify a spot there. But again, they, you know, they, they had some people there already. I think it was just a look out of respect for me to, to, uh, to get a shot at the NHL and, and uh, get that taste. And it was awesome. Uh, the guys were, were so welcoming. And again, it was, a, the Super Bowl was happening. Joe Thornton had us all over and uh, you know, supplied, uh, jerseys of each team and, and, uh, you know, we just had a good, good time. And I was there for about a week. Um, I only got the one game, so it took me five years to get one game in the NHL. Um, and for me, I think that was just kind of my perseverance and my, my hard work kind of paying off. Mm -hmm. And now that I had the taste, I, I, you know, obviously I wanted more. and, And by the end of that game, I felt way more comfortable than when I started it. Um, and uh, I felt like, okay, I can do this. But again, when you get your shot, you got to make the best of it. And I think I, that was a big learning lesson for me. I, I had to make that happen, and, and it didn't. So um, uh, moving forward, I, I always had that in my head. Now, uh, Tim Hunter was an assistant coach there, and Tim is a guy who has just blown through the coaching ranks. Uh, he's been successful everywhere he went, but he's also one of the legendary enforcers in the history of hockey. Uh, and not that you would go to him for tips or anything, but since you guys do play a similar style, uh, did you get a chance to chat with Tim at all while you were there? Oh yeah. No, I, I you know, and, and through the years in San Jose, it, it was kind of interesting because back then they didn't have the rules like for, you know, players going there and, and working with, with, the with the coaches and all that kind of stuff. So development camps, I was there two weeks in the middle of the summer. I was there for two weeks before uh, rookie camp started, um, you know, and then another two weeks for rookie camp and then main camp. Uh, I was in San Jose quite a bit during those years and, and got to spend a lot of time. And I was always a black ace, you know. So when playoffs were happening, San Jose usually went fairly deep. So I got a lot of time with those guys. And 
Tim bag skated me quite often, and he was pretty good at that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, he was just, you know, he kept it light for for us guys, uh, you know, the extras. There was an opportunity for me to go in, but these guys played through everything. I remember I'm like, ah, it would be nice to get a shot in playoffs here, but uh, it just never happened again. But, yeah, Tim was uh, – I love the way he coached. I, I just – he was a, a good person and, and uh, definitely reinforced uh, the way I played. And and you were uh, you're 100 right the way that uh, you kind of exploded that year. And I know you say, you know, points aren't a part of your game, goals aren't a part of your game. But I'd be remiss if I didn't tell the people that in 69 games that year in Cleveland, you had 10 goals, 20 assists, and 30 points. And by the way, in your NHL debut, you did rack up an assist. So not too shabby. Not too bad. I was a point a game in the NHL for a while. So yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And I'm assuming that. Uh, Patrick Marlowe also got an assist on, uh, I don't know how you say his name, Mikhailik on his goal. Were you, yeah. I'm assuming you were the primary assist, right? Uh, I actually, I finished my check and then I spit the puck up to, uh, Milo, uh, <laughs> and then he, he sent it to Marlowe and I, I liked my odds when Patty Marlowe had the puck. So that was, it was good. Yeah. And, and does it blow your mind when you turn on the TV and you see Joe Thornton is still playing? Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, cause I, you know, I, I know the way I played was hard, and I, I had four knee surgeries and a back surgery, and that, that finally ended me. And I'm, I remember trying to get through the age of 35 with coming back from a back surgery and just trying to get up and do it every morning. It was it was friggin' hard. And uh, until the point where, you know, I just couldn't do I was falling over on the ice, and my coach said, hey, Karks, okay, it's time. It's time. <laughs> so when I see them out there doing it, I'm, I'm just like, wow. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you gotta be lucky. You also have to be, you know, you have to be, uh, take care of your body very well. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible what they can do. Yeah. Uh, so your run in San Jose comes to an end, your contract expires. Uh, was there an interest on either side in going back to San Jose or were you just looking forward in the opportunity, uh, approached with, uh, Pittsburgh? Um, you know, me, I, I, I always, kind of prided myself in being a, a loyal person and and all that so san jose was kind of my home and, and cleveland and, and all that but at that point uh you know I, I geez i was married i was i had a kid and and i had to had to find a way to to better my career and and uh you know make the best of my opportunity i had um, they did say you know, San Jose was adamant that I'd get the shot and finally get into the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that would have happened or not um, in San Jose. But uh, but I decided to move on, and I got an offer from uh, Wilkes in Pittsburgh. Uh, and I thought, why not try try that spot? They, they could have used a D-man and... Uh, uh, like me, uh, depending on on what happened up there, but uh, I thought my my opportunity would be better placed somewhere else. So I ended up going to to uh, to Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, got to spend a lot of time uh, working with uh, you know Crosby and Malkin and and uh, Gonchar Latang was there. Like a lot of good players, so it was it was a cool experience for me. And unfortunately, that year it didn't it didn't pan out either. Well, now everything makes sense why those guys are so good. Exactly, yeah. A lot of time on the ice with those guys. That was great. So there you have it, part one of my chat with Matt Karkner. I really hope you people enjoyed it. I know for sure 
that I had a blast talking to Matt. What a, what a great guy. You know, I knew he was a great guy from when he was here, uh, chatting with him a few times when he was, was still skating for the Islanders, and it really comes through. What an easy guy to root for, the kind of guy you want on your team, and the kind of guy you definitely want on your side when you're going into battle. So, like I said, that was part one. Stay tuned. Next Monday, I bring you part two, and I'm sure you people will enjoy that one just as much as part one. So, until then, everybody out there, please stay safe. Thank you.